0: To Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th,
1: 1994. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you good evening and good morning. Under a slight, slightly declining but still very full moon and a Friday night, Saturday morning kind of situation. This is Coast to Coast AM, PM. On what's almost the weekend. Hi, everybody. I'm Art Bell. Well, there is a lot of news to talk about, and we're going to get to that uh, this morning. We're going to get to Open Line Talk Radio. The OJ situation continues, bombshell after bombshell by the day, and today is no exception. They've blown the grand jury uh, right out of the water, and we'll talk about that. Uh, the president uh, taking on conservative talk show hosts, specifically Rush Limbaugh, and I'm sure um, many others, probably this one included, will talk about that. The economy, the dollars in big trouble, we'll talk about that. The U.S. Supreme Court rules on private property, we'll definitely talk about that. The Clinton, um, The Clinton week, <laughs> oh, it was a bad, bad week for the president. And uh, we'll talk about that one, too. A lot more. I've got a lot of news. Uh, but I have promised you a guest um, this uh, this evening, this morning, and I, I am uh, going to carry through with that. Um, there is a new book out entitled The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell. And uh, this is somebody surely I would have um, uh, normally scheduled for Dreamland. Uh, but because of the timeline, Kevin Randall... Uh, co-author with uh, Donald Schmidt uh, Kevin Randall um, is going to have and Donald Schmidt are going to have uh, some sort of expo or some sort of uh, get together up in the uh, northwest part of the country I believe up in the Portland area or perhaps in Washington and uh, so because of that time uh, line we decided to go ahead and have on this evening y'all know about Roswell don't you On the back of the book it says, this is the extraordinary true story of the crash of an alien spacecraft with a crew of five near Roswell, New Mexico, and the great lengths federal agencies went to to keep the news from becoming public. By the way, this is soon to be a movie on Showtime. The Chicago Sun-Times said the government covered up the crash for security reasons, and the cover-up continues to prevent panic. Panic! (laughs) Chester W. Little, uh, these brilliant science writers have demonstrated the validity of this UFO crash. Uh, He is the Manhattan Project uh, inventor, the first atomic detonator. A Dr. Richard Haynes, NASA research scientist, said, Randall and Schmidt's explosive and important book has set an extraordinary high standard of investigative scholarship. So, in other words, here are people who have looked into this closely and find, uh, apparently, there uh, to be a case, a strong case, that, yes, it really happened by most UFO uh, scholars, This incident is uh, considered to be uh, the most authentic, well-documented case of a visit to Earth by aliens. Not so intentional, perhaps. So, off we go to, I think, Portland, Oregon. Uh, Kevin Randall, welcome to the program. Um, Well, hold on there. Let's put you over here and say, now, Kevin Randall, welcome to the show
2: thank you i think i'm actually in vancouver
1: are you are you in vancouver
2: i'm I'm across the river from portland okay so i'm close Uh,
1: close enough (laughs) right all right uh kevin uh first of all uh glad to have you on the uh, uh the program and i have long had a great amount of curiosity uh about roswell i'm curious uh about yours how did you come to be interested in roswell
2: I think I have to blame my partner, Don Schmidt, for that. He's the Director of Special Investigations for the G. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies. And in the late 80s, uh, the, the center determined there was a lot of work still to be done on Roswell, witnesses that needed to be interviewed, people needed to be found. Right. And he wanted to bring someone on board who had a military background. I had spent four years in the Army as a helicopter pilot, and then 12 years in the Air Force, both in active duty and uh, the active reserve as an intelligence officer. And he thought that the military background would help me understand the uh, mindset of, of the people we would be interviewing. So in 1989, we began our search to find out what happened at Roswell, thinking that we would go into into the town, spend three or four days there, find the prosaic answer, and then blow out of town with an answer, and everybody would be happy.
1: Uh,
2: uh, uh, just didn't work that way.
1: I'm sure it didn't. So um, how did it work? I mean, you went to Roswell... And and what? What did you find? Uh, were you, what were you expecting to find?
2: I thought that we would, in, in a lot of the early UFO cases, if you go back to the primary sources, you can find a pretty uh, interesting answer. You can find something that makes sense, that doesn't uh, necessitate a belief in extraterrestrial spacecraft. And we thought we would be able to do that, find a secret project, something like that, that would explain the case. But it didn't happen that way. We began talking to the witnesses, such as... Uh, Bill Brazel, Jr., the son of the man who discovered the debris field. And we sat with him for an hour and a half and listened to what he had to say and discovered that he was telling the truth as he knew it, and there was not a prosaic explanation. And we expanded the search out from there, finding more witnesses, additional witnesses, people who clearly were in Roswell in 1947, the provost marshal, for example, the 509th bomb group. Provost marshal being akin to the chief of police, telling us that the... Craft uh, was extraterrestrial. I mean, that's what he told me personally. It was extraterrestrial, and they were giving us first-hand testimony, as opposed to the second, and third-hand stories we'd had in the past. So it became very, very interesting.
1: Well, suppose I play like the government, uh, Kevin, and I say, "Uh, uh-uh, no, um, you know, these are all very fanciful, uh, very interesting stories. But look, it was a balloon. You know, we examined the pieces, and it was it was a balloon."
2: Uh, the problem with that story is the, the Air Force offered that, or the Army actually at the time offered that explanation almost immediately. But we found the chief of staff of the 8th Air Force, General Thomas DuBose, and he said, no, no, the balloon explanation was designed specifically to get the reporters off General Ramey's back, General Ramey being the commander of the 8th Air Force, that the balloon explanation had been handed out to the reporters, but that was not the explanation for right. why it crashed a rock Who's,
1: Who said that, please? Uh,
2: General uh, Thomas J. DuBose.
1: How do, how do we know he said that?
2: We have him on videotape.
1: Oh. And, oh. and he admits this on videotape?
2: Yes, he does. <laughs> See, that's that's why this story has, has diverged from your normal UFO story, is that there are a large number of witnesses, and a lot of them who are in positions of power in 1947. We can demonstrate it by the records of who they were. And we have those statements on audio and videotape.
1: All right. Uh, down in New Mexico, Representative Schiff there, of course, has started the GAO investigation. I guess um, uh, looking at the paper trail and the money trail and trying to figure out what really happened, because, of course, if it was transported up to Ohio, uh, to wright Pat in Ohio, there would be record of the flight, uh, expenditures, I'm sure, and all kinds of things and ways to track it. What's going on with that investigation?
2: From what we understand, that's exactly what they're doing. They're looking at this event in the context of other similar events. For example, a, an experimental aircraft crashes. How did the military respond to that? What did they do? Right. How much money was spent? And putting it in that kind of a context, looking to see if they can trace the paper trail. We have, we have records from flight crew members, for example, their, their personal flight rugs showing some of these flights. Hmm. So we can document some of this ourselves. And, and so, uh, from what we understand, the GAO investigation is going to look for those sorts of things, look to see what kind of records should have been um, what about created. For,
1: yeah, what about, for example, cargo manifests?
2: Well, unfortunately, we're dealing with an event that took place 47 years ago, mm. and the records aren't as complete as we'd like them to be. For example, I was able to get the morning reports. I asked for the morning reports for the entire 509th bomb group. What I got was the 509th headquarters company, and when I went back with a FOIA request, with a more specific request outlining the specific other units, they said those records don't exist. So some of the records exist, hmm. some of them don't exist. But uh, curiously, in 1947, the uh, 509th kept a very complete uh, unit histories from about April of 1947 through October. So we have all of those. We have a phone book that was published by the the 509th Bomb Group for all the base telephones. For okay, August of
1: again, let me stop you, Kevin. The 509th, the 509th Bomb Group um, did what? Were they responsible, allegedly, for transporting what was left of the wreck, or did they investigate down there? What did they do?
2: Uh, basically, yes. They were responsible for the discovery of, of, of the wreckage. They... Uh, cordoned off the area, they cleaned up the wreckage, they transported a lot of the wreckage out. The 509th Bomb Mm. Group, interestingly, is the same organization that was created to drop the atomic bombs on Japan. So we're dealing with highly trained individuals, hand-picked individuals in 1947. This is the only uh, atomic strike force in the world at the time, so they're very specific people.
1: Okay, and uh, of people in that group, um, what sort of eyewitness uh, testimony has come forward?
2: We have eyewitnesses who were there, who were on the site. Said oh, this is I was there. I saw this. Um, we have one man. Unfortunately, we have to identify him by a by a pseudonym at his request. So his testimony is weakened because of that. But we have others. For example. Uh, Master Sergeant Lewis Rickett, who was the NCOIC of the Counterintelligence Corps, the, the sergeant in charge, if you will. He'd be good. He, he came forward, corroborated some of that testimony for it. We have Major Edwin Easley, the provost marshal, who talked about the creatures, who talked about the site north of Roswell, who gave us good ideas of what was going on on the site. Um, so we have a, a wide range of individuals that can provide us with eyewitness testimony that leads us to the conclusion that what was found was extraterrestrial. Edwin Easley, as I said, told me specifically that it was extraterrestrial in origin. Um,
1: Give me an example uh, in in some detail, uh, if you can, of what you would consider to be some of the best uh, first-hand testimony of exactly what they said they saw.
2: They saw a craft that was more heel-shaped than saucer-shaped. Heel,
1: cr- heel shit, I'm sorry. Heel,
2: heel, like the heel of a shoe. Okay. Um, they saw a, a, a craft that was 50 I'm sorry, uh, 25 to 30 feet long, 15 to 20 feet wide. Impacted in a slope about 40 miles northwest of Roswell. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one body, one of the flight crew, laying outside the craft, up against the cliff. One body that was outside the craft, near it and there were three bodies located inside the craft.
1: All aliens.
2: All aliens.
1: Presumably. Uh, described roughly how?
2: Uh, four and a half to five and a half feet tall, very slender individuals. The head slightly larger than a head would be on a human of, of a similar size. The eyes slightly larger. Not the black orbs we talk about from the abduction phenomenon, but eyes that are slightly larger than human eyes. Heads that are hairless but covered with a slight peach fuzz or a, a fuzz-like... Uh, Uh, The arms are very skinny, the bones are thin, they're described as bird-like Now the interesting thing is, some of the skeptical community said Well, what you've got there are people who saw uh, primates or rhesus monkeys Garbed in flying suits uh, in test flights And the, the men at Roswell were so caught up in the hysteria of the flying disc phenomena They didn't recognize these apes for what they were And our answer is, if you take a look at the chimpanzee, the head is not larger, it's smaller. The eyes are not larger, they're smaller. They have big ears, they have lots of hair. That's not what was seen at Roswell. The people were very specific in what they saw.
1: All right. um, I want you to uh, hold on for just a moment, Kevin. We'll come right back to you. Okay. A little bit of business. Um, uh, My guest is Kevin Randall. He has co-authored the book, The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell. And uh, you're going to hear what most consider to be the best evidence this morning.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: Now, um, Kevin's listening, I know, and this just came in on the Associated Press. Astronomer Carl Sagan says that people believe in things like alien abductions because uh, they don't know much about science. During a conference of people who debunk paranormal claims, uh, Sagan said that scientific illiteracy is widespread. In other words, he's saying we're dummies. He pointed to studies that show up to one half of U.S. adults don't know the earth. revolves around the sun (laughs) once a year. He asked why newspapers have daily astrology columns, but no daily science columns. Most of the 740 people at the conference uh, in Washington this weekend are psychologists. The annual conference held by the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the uh, Paranormal out of Buffalo, New York. So there you go. Carl Sagan would be a star indeed to that group. And, uh, Kevin, are you there? Yes. What do you think about that?
2: I think that Carl Sagan's overstating his case. What we're conducting at Roswell, for example, is not a scientific investigation, but is more akin to a criminal investigation. We're searching for the evidence for science so that they can take a look at it. But they uh, claim to be looking as skeptics or debunkers at the UFO phenomena or claims of the paranormal, but they're not interested in looking at the evidence. They know this can't possibly be, therefore it is not. And it doesn't matter what we present in the way of evidence. For example, we can prove what ufologists have said for years. The United States government had a secret project to investigate UFOs that was not Project Blue Book. You go back and look at the regulations, Air Force Regulation 200-2, dated August of 1954, Mm. tells me as a former Air Force intelligence officer, if I get a UFO report from a flight crew, I don't send it to Project Blue Book. I send it to the 4602nd Air Intelligence Service Squadron at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, and they determine whether or not it goes on to Blue Book. And a lot of times, for reasons we don't know, they didn't go on to Project Blue Book. So we can prove the government had the secret project we have documentation okay. to prove quite a bit of what we say.
1: All right, have they still got that today Kevin? In other words uh, that, um, uh, that 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 secret parallel uh, investigation is that still going on today? Do you know? Blue
2: book blue book was was dropped in no. 1969.
1: No, not blue book.
2: But the other investigation continues on, because we've run into people who have submitted UFO reports or have them investigated by government officials after 1969. So, yes, that secret investigation continues. Part of it was disguised as Project Moon Dust. We can prove Project Moon Dust existed when uh, New Mexican Senator Jeff Bingaman queried the Air Force about Project Moon Dust, which was designed specifically to recover material of, of unknown origin returning from space, Uh, or or that of foreign origin, and the unknown origin clearly can be UFOs, he was told no such project ever existed. Moondust never existed. When the documents were given to the Air Force, they said, we'd like to amend our last statement. We've got the Air Force lying to a United States senator about a project that clearly existed. When we queried them about it, they said that project no longer exists, but we know from other documents the name has been changed because Moondust was compromised
1: what uh... what do you think they're uh, what do you think they have concluded after all this time do you have any uh, anybody telling stories about the ongoing investigation
2: we have very little information about that other than the documentation we have from project moon dust and moon dust clearly is is looking looking for stuff if roswell took place they would assume that it could happen again and moon dust because of its mandate to recover returning space debris of foreign origin or unknown origin clearly could cover another crash of an alien spacecraft if it happened. That would be encompassed in part of Mo- Moon Dust mandate. There's no doubt in our mind, and I say ours, Don Schmidt, in my mind, that what happened in 1947 was a recovery in alien spacecraft, and it set the tone for UFO research from that point onward.
1: All right, is there any evidence that since Roswell, there has been another crash of any substance at all, or is that the one?
2: This is the best documented because of the number of witnesses and the documentation available. But we have other information. For example, there is beginning to, to build a body of evidence for a crash near Kingman, Arizona in 1953.
3: Uh-huh.
2: There's another one near Las Vegas in
3: 1962.
2: Oh. And what's interesting about this one is the Air Force actually broke the sighting into two parts, uh, part of it over Utah, part of it over Nevada. Uh, so they have two separate sightings, but if you take a look at it, it's one single event. And the Air Force card from the Nellis Air Force Base said it was seen on radar, but there was no visual sighting. If you go back to the Las Vegas sun for, I believe it's April 19th, 1962, the banner headline says, Brilliant Red Explosion Flares in Las Vegas Sky. And there are eyewitnesses who talk about this, including the staff photographer of the newspaper at the time, who saw... This thing in the sky as it as it detonated.
1: Well, oh, as it detonated, as it actually it exploded, hit,
2: in uh, exploded in the sky.
1: Exploded oh, in the sky. Okay. Well, uh, meteorites, uh, returning meteorites and so forth, do that sort of thing. What makes it a UFO crash?
2: Uh, because meteorites do, are not picked up on radar, and B, if we track this thing based on the eyewitness testimony from Utah to Reno to Las Vegas, uh, meteors don't make big looping turns over 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 Nevada oh
1: they definitely don't do that right
2: and see what's what's interesting as they say the the, the case from Nevada is dated using the um, um, yeah, Greenwich but, Mean Time yeah, due time
1: do we have any craft on the ground bodies uh, evidence physical evidence of that
2: not not from that at this point alright so then, a research there's another case from Yubauber Brazil in 1957 where bits of metal were picked up and analyzed by the Brazilian government, who said it was magnesium of a purity unobtainable at Earth at the time. Those, that metal was analyzed again by Condon, who who said? Well, the sample we looked at wasn't that pure. Therefore, the whole all the samples were not that pure, which is a conclusion that scientifically they couldn't draw.
1: All right. They so, all right. We're at the bottom of the hour, Kevin. We got to yes. pause here. So, uh, in in conclusion for this half hour, Roswell is definitely the best documented case. Yes.
3: Absolutely. Yes. All right.
1: Hold on, uh, Kevin. We'll be right back to you. This is Coast to Coast
0: AM from the High Desert. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. On this. Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: From the high desert we come. Hi, everybody. My guest is Kevin Randall. He's co-authored a book called The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell. Do you want to know the truth? Well, I do. I think most of us do who are involved in this subject. Uh, Since it is the best documented case of a crash, of recovery of bodies... Uh, It makes sense to follow it, doesn't it? So, uh, back now to Kevin Randall. Kevin, are you there? Yes, I am. Good. Uh, So, here it is, the best evidence, I suppose, of uh, actual contact. Um, Where do we go from here with it, Kevin?
2: What we have to do is convince people like Carl Sagan, convince the journalistic community that this is a case that deserves investigation. We have to convince them the evidence is strong enough to do so. I think we've done it. We can prove something crashed at Roswell. The documentation is there to prove that. We can prove the military covered it up. General um, Dubose's statement proves that. We believe, based on the eyewitness testimony, the people we've talked to, that it was extraterrestrial. But I don't think we have to make that case. All we have to do is prove that something happened and it was covered up by the by the government.
1: I, 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 don't, I don't see it that way, Kevin. Um, I could understand, for example, they would have an experimental craft up, and it would crash. Then it would make sense. The government certainly would cover it up. Why, you know, So it does seem to me the burden of proof is that it was extraterrestrial in origin, not that there was a crash, because that could easily have occurred.
2: I, I think the point is there was a cover-up that took place. And it, and it persists today. We've tried to research as carefully as possible all the alternative explanations. Uh, we looked into the, the Northrop Flying Wing, for example, because one researcher suggested that was what crashed there. Right. We found it couldn't possibly have been. We looked at the rocket uh, research out of white sand. Nothing there to account for it. We looked into the balloon launchings of various projects, including Project Mogul, which was this this idea that if you could put an instrument package into this, Um, acoustical level in the atmosphere, like the acoustical level in the ocean, they could monitor Soviet uh, atomic experiments, and they couldn't discover a way of doing that, and they couldn't find the acoustical level, Level, so Project Mogul doesn't exist. We looked at the alternative explanations and could find nothing that would account for the crash in the right time frame, the types of debris that was uh, talked about, and the bodies. When you get to the bodies, it becomes very important.
1: Well, then it becomes a different sort of story. I suppose on the part of the government, I simply concede to you, well, yes, there was a crash there, um, but, um, but, you know, it was one of ours. I mean, so then the burden of proof, really, once you acknowledge there was a crash, and I believe there was, the burden of proof is that it was of um, extraterrestrial origin.
2: I, I guess what, what I'm what I'm, I'm 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 trying to say is, uh, we must convince the journalistic community. Here is a is an event that deserves uh, research, and that we can prove the crash took place, and we can prove the cover up. Why does the cover up persist today? Why can't we get the proper answers? When they present documentation, it does not cover the events at Roswell.
1: Yeah. That's a good question. It uh, of course is. I mean, w- uh, with all the brouhaha, why let it continue if it was something that was secret then and certainly would not be now?
2: Yeah, that, and, and that, that's our point. What would we have been testing in 1947 that would be persisting as a secret today? Even even the early crashes of the SR-71, and some, and some of those are still partially classified. But we can get documentation, and we can write those things off. We can realize what's going on. With Roswell, it's completely missing. For example, the Project Blue Book files. Lots of these kinds of stories early on in the UFO phenomena, part of the Project Blue Book files. There's no mention of Roswell. There's no file for Roswell in Project Blue Book. Why not? We can find some documentation that relates to it. There's an FBI document where Jedgar Hoover in his own handwriting suggests something about the disks recovered and the Army wouldn't let the FBI see it. Now, there are alternative explanations for that handwritten note, but it opens the door for us. Well,
1: let me ask specifically, you say, really? uh, uh, from J. Edgar Hoover, specifically, what did he say, how close did he really get to suggesting they were something else? Uh, what what or...
2: happened was, uh, Brigadier General Shogun, who was the uh, Assistant Chief of Staff for Air Intelligence in 1947, had asked the FBI to investigate the backgrounds of people who saw flying saucers. Mm-hmm. The FBI said, thought they should do that. In fact, there was a number of endorsements. This, this document uh, is dated 10 July 1947, not long after the events in Roswell. Hoover, in his handwritten endorsement, says, uh, I would do this, but before we do it, I want to see, uh, I want complete access to disks recovered. For example, and then there's this ambiguous hmm. uh, little statement. We don't know whether it's SWLA or what it says, but he says, in the LA case, for example, uh, the Army grabbed it, wouldn't let anybody have it for even a cursory examination. So we've got a statement that talks about uh, disks recovered and the fact the Army grabbed it, which fits the Roswell um, hmm. events exactly. But it's, it's ambiguous enough that we can't say, well, here's proof positive in J. Edgar he- Hoover's own handwriting proving that there were crashed flying saucers. Hmm. But it opens the door for that. General Twining, in September of 1947, uh, issued a report based on, again, information sub- submitted by Shogun that said uh, that the first paragraph says that the phenomenon being uh, talked about is something real, not illusionary and fictitious, meaning flying disc.
3: Yeah. Later
2: on, he says, due consideration must be given to the fact that there is no uh, 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 exhibits in the form of crash-recovered debris. But what he's saying is, in that specific sample provided by Shogun, there was nothing that alluded to a crashed flying saucer. But that does not mean that Twining wasn't aware of the events in Roswell.
1: Curious, Kevin, uh, where might these disks be today? Uh, Surely we would not have disposed of them. We would have them someplace or another.
2: Our best evidence is that the material originally went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Wright Field at the time. Yes. We have been told now that they've been moved to Nevada. Not Area 51, not Dreamland, but a special base in central Nevada. We haven't been able to corroborate that. That's just what we've been told.
1: Hmm. Uh, well, as you know, um, I uh, maybe you don't know. I'm literally almost at Dreamland. Not quite at Dreamland. It's just over the hill from me here, and um, we see a lot of things flying in the skies. And uh, for a long time, there were very persistent reports, uh, even some eyewitness testimony, of there being disks at an area called S4, which is uh, a very just a sort of an adjacent area to Dreamland. Uh, could it have been those?
2: What, um, uh, the one thing we have to keep in, keep in mind is that area you're referring to, of course, is also uh, an area where there's a lot of legitimate experimental aircraft That's being right. tested.
1: That's
3: right.
2: So so the sightings might be of nothing more uh, sinister than our own experimentation. Well, there might be something else going on there th- as well.
1: That may be, Kevin, but uh, if so, then our own experimentation, as documented with a lot of video cameras and uh, um, uh so forth, um, is uh, of circular craft that are able to do things that you would associate with um, flying saucers.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'm just saying we have to keep in mind it, 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 is, it is possible that it is our own experimentation, but it may not be.
1: Our own experimentation with, with, our, uh, aircraft, with or... our
2: aircraft? With our aircraft, but it may be, as has been alleged, that its experimentation with something that was uh, uh, captured from... From the aliens, or experimentation of, of an alien type craft based on, on the technology recovered at Roswell, among other places.
3: That's right.
2: So it's always, there's, there's those distinct possibilities, but we have to keep in the back of our minds that, that the secrecy may just revolve around the fact that it's our own experimentation and we don't want that sort of thing leaking out into the general public at this time of we have to not. keep that in the back of our minds. but there's always this other intriguing possibility and if we can establish that Roswell is extraterrestrial then those sorts of speculations take on an added dimension because we've already leaped the first hurdle which is to get the craft here from another planet we've proven that now, it, now it's distinctly possible that we do, in fact, have a craft, and we are, in fact, experimenting with it.
1: All right. So how do we blow the lid off it? I mean, if you're convinced, you sound like a rational person to me. Thank uh, you. As, as a result of all your investigation, are you absolutely convinced, or just about convinced, or what is your confidence level that that Roswell was extraterrestrial in origin?
2: There is no doubt in my mind that Roswell was extraterrestrial, and no it's doubt. based on talking to the eyewitnesses, it's based on trying to find an alternative explanation that just does not fit all the facts. When we bring all the facts into play, there is no other explanation other than extraterrestrial. And I think we need to convince the journalistic community and the scientific community that this is an area that deserves further attention. It's not the realm of the the weirdo or the nutcase but it's something that clearly happened, and we've got the eyewitness testimony to prove it. Now we must move on to finding better documentation for it.
1: All right, um, fine. Uh, so we've, we've established all this. The government probably knows about it, probably is covering it up. And here we sit like, uh, uh, like a person with a, a can of some of the fine tuna that I sell, turning it over and over without a can opener, trying to figure out how to get it open. So how do we get the can open?
2: Well, as I said, one of the ways we get it open is, is to convince the media to look into it and start pressing it. If we cannot convince the media, we'll never be able to create the pressure for Congress to act. If, if we can blow it off by saying, well, you know, it's just, it's just a bunch of kooks and we don't have to worry about it, or I'm too sophisticated to believe in this stuff, we're never going to get anywhere. But if we can convince people that the level of research is high enough and the documentation is good enough, then we can apply that pressure to the proper individuals in Congress, and and Congressman Schiff and the GAO investigation is certainly a step in the right direction. The the work being done by Senator Jeff Bingham and other senators to find out what's going on with moon dust is a step in the right direction.
1: All right, what about what about Hazel O'Leary, who has released all this information in the administration about uh, past uh, atomic experiments, uh, plutonium injections, uh, and all the rest of the horrible stuff? They've released that. So then, why not this?
2: That's a very good question. We think that part of the problem may be they're still still concerned about a panic, and I say I don't see how that can be because if they really, if they told us tomorrow that, that the flying saucers were real, they're extraterrestrial, and one crashed at Roswell, your immediate reaction might be to panic, but then you'll say, you know, this happened 47 years ago. How has it adversely affected my life? But if one lands at the Pentagon tomorrow, we're not going to have that nice cushion to fall back on.
1: Well, I... I've done a talk show now, uh, this round of talk shows anyway, for about nine years, Kevin, and I can tell you something. If um, the news got out that indeed the ETs are here, that um, uh, perhaps uh, it leads back toward the possibility that they are in effect our creators or manipulators, um, Kevin, I'm telling you. I talked to the religious folks all across this country. They'd they would uh, they'd fill these little aliens, if they still existed, with so much lead uh, that um, uh, they'd be nothing but a big donut hole. Uh, I'm not kidding you. There would be panic. There would be um, a lot of anger. And a lot of times when you talk about these topics, Kevin, there's a lot of anger from these people. So I don't discount um, people saying, oh, no, there there would be panic and social disruption.
2: Oh, I agree. I agree. But I think that one of the things we have to remember is if they announced that we had aliens from 1947 on, we've got a cushion of some sort. It's not affected me adversely since 1947. That's Why? True. Does it suddenly affect me now? If they landed at the Pentagon tomorrow, we do not have that cushion. I think the level of panic would be would be that much higher. All right. Well, Ge- what, what geometrically? Right.
1: But what higher. about what about all of the years of reports of abductions? You know, if those are true, Kevin, that would seem to suggest that we are aware of what's going on, or maybe we've made a deal with the aliens or whatever it is, and and they'd be very unlikely to reveal something like that.
2: Oh, absolutely correct, and that may be part of our problem. Or they haven't figured out the, the codes, if you will, of, of, the, of the spacecraft. They don't know how to make it work yet. They don't know how to create the metal. If We, we, we have descriptions of metal at the, at the debris field at Roswell that when you picked it up uh, and, and you folded it up into a ball, it would unfold itself without a sign, sign of a crease. What that does that do to the body shop? The next time you have a fender bender in the car, you back up, and the fender repairs itself. So there are all kinds of questions that that uh, need to be addressed about what would be the ramifications after we learn the truth. But at some point, we're going to know the truth. Something is going to happen, and it's going to be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. And yet there are people today who know that we never landed on the moon. It was all a Hollywood trick. So
1: if, if, be- yeah, Kevin, if you had the proof in your hand, I love asking this question, the uh, irrefutable proof in your hand, would you immediately release it i would yes you would absolutely and suppose i came to you just before you were about to have your big news conference and i said kevin um i'm from the government agency i can't even talk about uh we understand what you have we have concluded um uh, over the years that to release such information would be detrimental to the national security and we're asking you not to release what you've got
2: I say prove it. Prove it's detrimental to the national security.
1: Well, uh, we can sit you down and let you read all the reports we've got from our psychologists showing that uh, um, uh, that uh, there would be social disruption. Um, uh,
2: well, I, I'm, aware. I'm aware that the, 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 the Brookings Institution, for example, in 1962 did a study. They uh, took 15 different disciplines and asked them, theologians, anthropologists, economists, what would happen if there was a uh, confrontation between people of Earth and an alien civilization. Not necessarily a face-to-face confrontation, but the fact we learned about it through radio astronomy. And and of those disciplines, uh, 14 of them said it would be disastrous to our civilization. But isn't that also the way our civilization grows and becomes better? <laughs>
1: Uh, grows and becomes better. I guess it it would be growth of a sort. Uh, Kevin, hold on just a moment. We'll come right back to you. Uh, My guest is Kevin Randall, and he is co-author of The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, and directly we'll get
0: back to him. You're listening to Art Bell, somewhere in time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: Kevin Randall, author of The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, back on the air. Hi, Kevin. Hi, how's it going? Listen, before I lose track of things here, what have you got going on this weekend? Where is it? What is it?
2: Well, we're giving a, a lecture on what we've learned about Roswell, including some of the new testimony that we've developed in the last two or three weeks uh, to corroborate some of the things we found at the uh, Red Lion Lloyd Center in downtown uh, uh Portland, Oregon. It starts at two o'clock on on Sunday afternoon. Ah. And Mike Lindemann is going to be there as well talking about uh some of his research and Don Schmidt, my partner from the center is going to be there. So there's three of us that'll be uh
1: Oh, that's wonderful. I I've, I've interviewed uh, Michael Lindemann and he is a great guy and he's going to be there too. So again
2: Absolutely, yes.
1: All right, again, uh where is it? Uh how do people how do people get in? What do they have to cough up? <laughs>
2: Well, it says here they have to cough up 15 bucks, and for that you get all three of us talking about uh, our research. And it's at the Red Lion Lloyd Center in downtown Portland, Oregon. And for ticket information in this area, they can call, call 224-8499.
1: All right. Wanted to get that in for sure.
2: Appreciate now, that.
1: Um, I, I guess uh, what I'd like to do shortly is turn it over to the audience and let them ask you uh, some hard questions Uh, You obviously have done a lot of research. It's a pretty good-sized book you've got here, uh, uh, Kevin, no question about it, and there's a lot of documentation in here. Um, Have you had a colleague, a scientific colleague, um, sit down, read this book, and give you a good evaluation of it? Uh, uh, I mean, do they come away saying, oh, my God, it really happened at Roswell, or what did people come up with?
2: it kind of t- depends on their persuasion and what they're looking for, but what we've tried to do is, is put together a case that's not necessarily a scientific case, but more of the kind of case you would present going into a court of law. We're in a search for the proper evidence for the scientific community. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think we've come up with the evidence the scientific community can take into the laboratory and analyze, but we found the kind of evidence that endorses this sort of in, uh, of an investigation. Um, so that's kind of where we are. We've had, we've had colleagues, science, colleagues with the scientific then take a look at the uh, information. They have suggested ways that we could have improved the work. Um, one of the complaints was the footnotes didn't contain enough data about the, uh, uh, how the interviews were conducted and whether or not they were on audio or videotape. And almost all the interviews we conducted were on either, either or audio or videotape. So it's not just necessarily you have to take our interpretation of what somebody said to us in a private conversation.
1: Do you have any plans to include uh, those interviews in uh, an audio tape presentation or in a videotape
4: presentation?
2: There are some videotape presentations out that that include parts of those interviews. The Fund for UFO Research, for example, has one called the Recollections of Roswell Part 2 that they sell that has quite a bit of that kind of material in it.
3: All
1: right, Kevin, I'm going to break here and turn you over to the audience when we come back, all right?
2: Okay,
3: sounds good.
1: All right, Kevin Randall, author of, co-author of The Truth About the UFO Crash at
0: Roswell, back after the news. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming up. featuring Coast to Coast AM, from June 24, 1994.
1: Hi, everybody. Good morning. I'm Art Bell. My guest is Kevin Randall. Who is he? He's co-author of The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell, the uh, best documented case of an alien crash on Earth. And I'm going to give you a chance to talk to him here in a moment. I just got a fax in. And uh, I guess 2020 did a, a pretty good piece on the new case of uh, the flesh-eating, ate my face off, strep A. And you might be interested in this: the Center of uh, Disease Center for Disease Control predicts a thousand new cases of that this year. But experts are saying the cases will exceed seven thousand this year. Hmm. Always been around, nothing to worry about. I'm from the government, here to help you. Uh, For Kevin Randall, uh, in a related, uh, sort of a related question, did any of the personnel who came into contact with any alien crew members, alive or dead, uh, contract any new virus or bacterial infection, and could any new diseases we have appearing today be a result of this contact? Kevin, what do you think?
2: We have no evidence that any of the people who came in contact with the bodies uh, manifested any type of of illness or disease that would be related directly to that contact. Um, In fact, one man had sent me a letter and suggested that because there were no outbreaks of of a new disease that swept the planet clean of of humanity, it proved that the, the Roswell didn't happen. There are many diseases that we have that are species-specific. <laughs> Reptiles can't get certain diseases that affect mammals. Uh, mammals can't. Uh, no,
1: that that strikes me as an absolutely ridiculous statement on the face of it. Which one? Uh, well, the one the one you just gave—that the fact that no disease uh, uh, spread itself quickly across the planet, wiping out mankind, proves they didn't come here. That's that's.
2: Uh, I, I agree. I ridiculous. agree. Ridiculous. I agree. That's a ridiculous statement. But but that was that was his premise, and my response was that. There are diseases that are very species-specific, and the fact that we didn't contract some uh, alien bug does not prove that it, it did or did not happen. All it means is that it, it did not happen. Uh, we have no evidence that any of the diseases that are affecting uh, the, human, the human race today a result of, of something that happened at Roswell 47 years ago. All
1: right, Kevin, I've got a bank full of people who want to talk to you here. Are you ready? I'm all set. Okay, here we go. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Good evening or morning. Where are you calling from, please? Hello there. Well, uh, <laughs> it's a strange start. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Good morning.
5: Yeah, good
1: morning, Art. Hi, where are you, sir? Kansas
5: City, Missouri.
1: Kansas City, yes, sir. Yeah.
5: Yeah, a place where the barbecue's hot, but Art, Art Bell show is hottest.
1: <laughs> That's kind.
5: Yeah. Oh, well, um, actually, I was just curious about something your guest had mentioned earlier, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but he mentioned something to the effect that uh, most people know today that the Moonshot was just a Hollywood production.
2: No, I didn't say that. What I said was there are people today who believe oh. that the, the, the moonshots that are landing oh. on the moon were nothing more than a Hollywood production. Oh. It's a very small number of people, but there are people who believe that.
5: Oh, Okay, I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. Well, anyway, I'll get to my um, question. Um, do we know where these aliens came from at all, or mm-hmm. or, or, you know... Is it basically where just the ships crashed and the government got the technology, but they don't care where they came from? Uh,
1: All right, yeah, it's a good question. Do we have any idea?
2: I don't have any idea. I think that the, if the government could answer that question, they would love to have an answer. The only clue that, that's ever come out of the UFO phenomena, of course, is the Betty Hill star map, which is a result of her abduction back in 1961, and Marjorie Fish attempting to find which section of the galaxy it came from, suggesting they may have been from Zeta-1, Zeta-2 reticuli. But I don't think that's a very good clue uh, what happened at Roswell. We, we, meaning uh, we civilians outside the government, have no clues about where they came from.
1: Hmm. All right. Um, very good. Uh, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hi.
6: Hi, Art. Uh, stand here in Cogo Country.
1: Yes, San Diego.
6: Uh, we had some vibrations today before I asked uh, ask my question. Uh, about uh, between 5 and 10 after 10 in the morning, everything was calm, and all of a sudden, my windows, I have huge windows, four steps, the huge windows, rattled and vibrated like a hundred bass drums for about three seconds.
1: So the Earth moves in California no, again?
6: No, no, it was no. not an earthquake. What was it? Don't know. Miramar Air Force Base said, we don't know. All the news stations said, we don't know, but we know it wasn't an earthquake.
1: Unidentified moving vibrations. There
6: you go. We've had that before. Anyway, my question, um, it's so hard for me to understand why... And the key phrase that you used—you uh, haven't presented them the right evidence. You said something like that, right, Kevin? Uh,
2: for the scientific community, yes. the, the evidence they require is somewhat different than the evidence we've been searching for. We need to prove the case, uh, so we know where to look for the proper evidence. I guess. Okay. Now, that, so how do they? How do they explain? I mean, the Roswell's been around forever. I can't believe there
6: haven't been ten thousand scientists that aren't curious. But how? How do they explain the absolute evidence of the pyramids and that they could not have been built by anybody here?
1: All right, thank you. The pyramids. Have you looked into that at all, Kevin?
2: Uh, not not really, no. I, my undergraduate degree was in anthropology, but my area of emphasis was Mesoamerican, the Central Andes as opposed to Egyptology. Mm-hmm. But I know that I, I have seen the theories that have been presented lately about how the pyramids were constructed in Egypt and the theories that they're being presented seem to make some sense about how how they did it. And I know that they just uncovered not too long ago the remains of the city at the base of one of the major pyramids, that's, that's it suggest right. that suggest uh, that it was not the slave labor we've been led to believe, but actually a, a public works project, if you will. So there's there's evidence that needs to be looked at and examined, and I think that we need to take a skeptical eye to all the evidence and look at it rationally and 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 to determine whether or not the explanations being offered make sense to us rather than reject them out of hand. Okay,
1: Kevin, have you looked at all at the work of Richard Hoagland uh, with respect to uh, Mars and the structures on Mars and the mathematical um, uh, similarities uh, to, um, uh, uh, to the pyramids here on Earth and now uh, his latest work uh, with regard to the moon? Have you looked at all that?
2: I've 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 heard I've heard him on the radio and I and I've read his book because I found it fascinating and I think that the the, the face on Mars, for example, I mean there there is an a, an area where it demands that we take another look at it. Uh, unfortunately, I, I I like to joke about the reason we don't know more about it is because the aliens blew up the blew up the Mars Mars Observer, so we wouldn't have the answers and could <laughs> the question longer. But I think I think that the, the, his work is very interesting.
1: Well, it is because it would suggest that e- either an ancient alien civilization visited here, or in the view of some, Kevin, um, there was a prior civilization, or even many of them, here on Earth that may have at one time uh, colonized Mars.
2: Uh, And I think that if we found the artifact on Mars to be, in fact, a manufactured artifact, Uh uh, that would be pretty much evidence that that somebody was traveling through space at some point.
1: Yes,
3: but... And it's clearly
2: uh, not us, because we can't do it.
1: Well, there are a lot of people who speculate that there have been prior civilizations, that there have been cycles here on Earth when man has come and man has gone, uh, generally because of polar shifts and other... uh, a uh, uh, great earth changes that have occurred. What do you think of that theory?
2: I, it's it's uh, again, it's an interesting theory, and I know that I used to study what was called oops, out of place things, out of place artifacts. Uh-huh. And, and these were uh, nails found in solid rock or the uh, spark plug found in the geode.
3: Exactly. That sort of
2: thing. Things that, that clearly shouldn't be there but are, in fact, there. Right. Uh, and, and how do you explain a nail being pulled out of a block of granite, for crying out loud, uh, if the nail wasn't dropped as the granite was forming uh, millions of years ago? Which would be suggestive of that? There's the, the tracks of the human and the dinosaur that they have in the bed, the, the, the riverbeds in Texas. And I've heard, I've heard theories that seem plausible that the, the, the dinosaur walked through the place, the, the area uh, solidified. Later on, it softened up, and then a human walked through it and left his footprint. So it looks like the, the footprints of a human with the footprints of a dinosaur. or was That's another right. type of dinosaur that had a human looking footprint. You know, it, it, there are interesting things that I think we need to look at without an idea to, well, it can't possibly be, therefore it is not.
1: All right. uh, What about the source of criticism um, of Carl Sagan in this AP story I read you about abductions? Have you looked at the abduction phenomenon, and uh, if so, what kind of credibility do you think it has?
2: uh, I think that there is some uh, good credibility to the abduction phenomenon. I also think there's some very poor research that's been done. If you go back and you read some of the earlier works on abductions, you see that the... The uh, technician or the hypnotherapist has asked very leading questions and has led the witness in a lot of directions. We know from uh, our, our current studies about the false memory syndrome where you can actually induce memories in people um, but by trying to convince them that, that, that events took place. So our, our, our level of research as researchers must increase and must improve so, that those kind of criticisms can't be directed at us. But I did it. I looked at one of the abduction cases from 1973. Uh, I looked at it in 1976. And the thing that's always bothered me about this is the number of people from the same family abducted. And the oldest daughter said that she thought the abduction took place at, at 1 o'clock in the morning. But the mother told me that they'd filed a police report because they, they thought there was somebody messing with the house, some kind of an, an intruder, although I hesitate to use that term. And I went and found the police report. The police report had been filed at 12:40 a.m. Well, there's no way that the, the 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 youngest daughter could be abducted at one o'clock in the morning if they they were conscious enough to make a police report at 12:40. But then I discovered the youngest daughter was was um, nearsighted, and the clock that she saw the hands were almost the uh, same size. So if you didn't get a look at the clock, five minutes after 12 sounds an awful looks an awful lot like. Uh, one o'clock in the morning. And that's the kind of a detail that uh, uh, somebody inventing a story isn't going to make up. So something clearly happened to this family, and I don't know what it is, and it seems to fit into the abduction phenomenon. So there are some interesting cases. I don't think it's nearly as prevalent as we're led to believe, but I think there is something to the phenomenon. Well,
1: uh, it winds back into what I was saying earlier, Kevin. Uh, If the abductions are real... Uh, then the implication clearly would be, if you believe in the government cover-up, that they're well aware of the abductions. So then I think, well, if that's true, there's no chance at all that they're ever going to tell us the truth or that we're going to be able to dig it out because they've made a deal, and the chances of their revealing that um, are almost zero, slim and none. Uh, uh,
2: Given that scenario, I, I think you're probably right. But the the decision can be taken out of their hands. And, of course, if one lands at the United Nations, then the decision is taken out of their hands. But if if there is no deal between our government and the aliens to allow the abductions to take place, and if the abduction phenomenon isn't as widespread as it seems to be, then there may be no deal, and we may be able to dig something out.
1: That's true. Uh, Kevin, hold on just a moment. (laughs)
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: All right, back now to my guest, Kevin Randall, and your questions. Kevin, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. Let us go to the telephone, uh, uh, Kevin. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air. Good uh, good morning. Hello. Hello. Yes, sir.
6: Um, I like to be on the air.
1: You are on the air.
6: I'm on the air
7: right now.
1: Yes. When I say, you're on the air, that's what it means. You there, sir? I guess he's not. <laughs>
2: hey, t- turn down your radio. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, and turn on your mind. On the Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hello.
8: Oh, Art, another good show. This is Dan from the University District in Seattle. Yes, Dan. Uh, I have uh, one question I had was up uh, now. Did they uh, recover? Uh, was one of the aliens alive, and did they have him uh, uh, kept him alive for a number of years? Is that correct?
2: We have heard that information. We have no first-hand corroboration for it. There are a number of second-hand witnesses. Frankie Rowe, for example, whose father was a firefighter in Roswell in 1947, said that her father said one was alive and that they put it, uh, that they drove it out of, uh, off the impacts items to, to the base hospital. But I have to stress we have no first-hand corroboration for that. We've also heard that one survived a number of years after this event and died in '52, I think. Again, we have no first-hand corroboration for that at this time.
8: Yeah, I'd heard that also, and um, in light of that, it, it's possibly conceivable that they did find out where they're from, but they're just not, uh, n- nobody nobody knows for sure. Huh? There,
2: may, there may be, even if the entire crew was killed, there may have been clues in the ship that would have given us a clue about where they came from, some kind right. of star maps or something like that. We don't have access to that information, but the government, the people who are responsible for the retrieval, may have that information. We just don't. Okay, well, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks Thank for uh, the call, and uh, have a good morning. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hello. Hello. Yes, sir. Hi. Where Where are you, please?
9: I'm calling from Montreal, Quebec.
1: Montreal, Quebec. All right, in, great. In, in Canada, yeah. Yes, sir.
9: <clears throat> i just like to... Uh, No, uh, many, many years ago, when I was a young lad, um, there were two uh, publications running simultaneously. One was Reader's Digest, which is still running. The other one was a small book of the same format called Coronet. All right. And somewhere around uh, 52, 53, 54, they ran a small color pictorial in the back of Coronet, which was a common feature with the uh, magazine at that time. and did a whole feature on Roswell. Now, I don't know whether your guest is aware of that or not, or maybe he could find some archives to go back to that.
2: I, I, I live in Iowa myself, and the uh, University of Iowa has all those magazines there. We would heard the story that one of the issues had de- been dealt with the, the crash and had, been, had disappeared completely. So we went back through them in the... 40s and looked to see if there was anything missing and there wasn't. I hadn't heard that there was something like that from Coronet in uh, the, the early 50s, you say? Well, I hope so. I, I'm, I,
9: I remember seeing the issue, and it fascinated me, and I, the, the issue was around my family home for many years, I was, and as a matter of fact, a few years ago when I was back home, I looked for it, but it had gone. It's uh, probably been thrown out, but I know when I was a young lad, somewhere between, oh, let's say, 10, 12 years of age, which would have, I guess, put it like 40,
2: maybe 56, 58. 50, mm-hmm. Later 50s, that. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 that magazine exists. I know it, they have it at the University of Iowa Libraries. And I think mm-hmm. one of the first things I'm going to do next week is, is, is go down there and, and, and take a look at the, the issues and see if I can find that. I hadn't heard that. And I would think that if something like that had happened prior to this point, somebody would have mentioned it and would have come forward. All right, but it, it certainly but, is. But it, but it deserves further research. Exactly. I, I, I swear I am telling the truth. All right. It uh, exists. Well, I'm, one I'm
1: time sure, Caller, I'm sure he will follow up on it. So we'll Oh, get, absolutely. All right, good. Uh,
9: could I just find out uh, how I could
2: get a hold of your book?
1: Oh, okay. That's a good question. Thank you. Uh, from Montreal. How can he get your book?
2: Uh, I can call M. Evans & Company in New York at area code 212-688-2810, and uh, they can provide him with the information to order it.
1: All right. Repeat
2: the number. Uh, It's area code 212-688-2810. And and it it should be available in the bookstores uh, both in the United States and Canada, so you should be able to order it through the bookstore as well.
1: All right. Very good. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Good morning.
7: Hello. This is Gary from Kenwood.
1: From Kennewick, Washington. Yes.
7: Anyway, yeah, um, uh, like the guy was talking before I said where was it coming from. Um, I heard several guys talking before. You know, the, the polar shifts. That these um, guys may be from uh, inside Earth.
1: Well, or from Earth uh, at some uh, prior civilization. Yes. Or uh-huh. or
2: they could be they could be from the Earth in the future coming back uh, through time travel to take a look at us there's, as well. Yeah,
7: there's another one. Yeah, and that would uh, seem to go more, more along with the evolution of you know, evol- humans evolving up into a different-looking form.
1: Well, I suppose that uh, that could be. All right, thank you. Uh, we're very short on time here on the first-time caller line. You're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hi.
10: Hi, how's it going? I need to, I'm calling from Albuquerque, New Mexico.
1: Oh,
6: yes. Yeah,
10: and I just had a few questions for uh, your guest. Okay. Uh, well, I was kind of wondering,
11: you know, I see, I've seen a lot of weird things around here, too you know, and New Mexico and stuff like that. But, I mean, and they're talking about all this stuff of where they're coming from. You never know. They could be, like, from
7: galaxies far away. You know what I mean? What does he think on that? That,
1: I suppose, is what he thinks.
7: Um,
2: well, well, yeah, clearly I believe they're extraterrestrial. They come from, uh, not from inside our solar system, because there doesn't seem a planet that would be capable of supporting life. So they come from another solar system inside our galaxy, I would assume.
1: All right. Wild card Line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall and not a lot of time. Hi, where are you calling from? Phoenix, Phoenix, okay. Turn your radio off. That's good. All right. You're on the air with Kevin. What is it? Do you have a question? All right. Are you going to turn the radio off? It's off. Thank you. Do you have okay.
12: a... <laughs> well, I think this is marvelous, and I started calling so I could get information on how to get his book. Um, I do have a story about a flying saucer, which you probably do, <laughs> or millions of them. But my folks and I were in 1952 going to from Kingman, Arizona, to Las Vegas. And
1: all right, listen, uh, we're not going to have time for that. We're at the bottom of the hour. I'll give okay. you an option. Do you want to hold on?
12: Oh no, that's okay. I know. Well, I was just. I'm. So, I'm glad that good. This is all
1: coming out. All right. Well, keep listening then. We'll tell you how to get hold of the book. Kevin, we'll be right
0: back with you. This is Coast to Coast AM. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. take you back to the past on art bell somewhere in time kevin randall is my guest
1: he is co-author uh along with uh, donald schmidt of the truth about the ufo crash at roswell new mexico i added the state there i assume know it's roswell and that's what we're talking about the possibility that a ufo crash alien beings and ships were recovered and what that means for us, and of course, the moment this is actually proven, beyond any shadow of a doubt, it will be the biggest story of all of human history. Kevin, are you there? Yes, I am. All right, good. A uh, lot of calls, so why don't we go back to the phones? Okay. All right. Wild card Line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hello.
8: Hi, uh, Art. This is Adino and SeaTac.
1: SeaTac, Washington,
8: yes. That's right. Um, Kevin, I, I wanted to ask you... Um, Do you have any idea where the remains of the crash would be kept now at this present time? And also I would assume that if the government had recovered bodies that they would also have them still. Do you have any idea where that would be?
2: The best information we have is part of the debris went to the Los Alamos National Laboratory, The craft itself and the majority of the debris and the bodies eventually made it to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Wright Field at the time. One of the bodies supposedly went to Lowry Army Airfield in 1947, because that's where the Army had its mortuary service. The information we have now is the craft, the bodies, are located in a special facility in the middle of Nevada, which is not part of the Groom Lake, Dreamland, Area 51 complex. But, But... That information about it being in Nevada is pretty speculative. We can trace the stuff in 47 to the the bases in Ohio, and we've got evidence it was there for a period after that. Then then we, we have other things that tell us where it may have gone or where it may be still. But, of course, you don't dispose of unique samples. So somewhere.
1: So the best guess is it's here in Nevada. Nearly anything anybody can't explain seems to end up in Nevada. All right, All right caller, thank you uh, very much. Uh, we are the repository, <laughs> in some cases the suppository for <laughs> <laughs> for a great deal of the nation's ills. On the uh, toll free line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hello.
13: Hi. Good morning. All right. Glad to talk to you. Calling We're, from Portland, Oregon.
1: Portland. Yes, sir.
13: Um, I have a question or a comment. First I'll Great show. I listen to you every evening.
1: Thank you.
3: On
13: this whole thing about abduction, what I don't understand, and, I, and I've kind of failed to, to believe, is that if the government had uh, a deal made with these aliens to kind of look the other way for an abduction, why would they go through abducting and keeping it as a hot topic when wouldn't they be able to find volunteers to have them study or learn?
1: Well, would, would you volunteer?
13: Oh, in a second. Would you really? Oh, yes, I would. After
1: what I've heard about abductions, I certainly wouldn't. Oh,
13: I would. If I no, mean,
1: we're it, talking tables here, uh, medical procedures, long needles, and you'd volunteer?
14: Oh, sure. It wouldn't be any different from some of the physicals that we go through here in the, today.
3: Well... And I, and
13: I think the exchange of knowledge, it would seem that if they had volunteers, there would be less reports
14: of abductions. And then you got the movies, you've got the reports. It keeps the whole issue of, of aliens in the, in the news. You'd uh, want it to uh-huh. the secret, I would think.
11: So what do you? What would your what do you what,
14: all right,
1: all right. What do you think, Kevin?
2: I, the problem is we we're forced to speculate what an alien mind would be thinking, and we we just don't have a basis for for that kind of a speculation. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that there is any kind of agreement between our government and the aliens to allow the abductions to go on, and maybe something they've just decided to do. But I don't think it's nearly as widespread as we're being led to believe. I think it's a, a much more limited phenomenon than, than is being reported.
1: All right. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hi.
2: Okay. This is Roy. I'm in Vancouver.
1: Yes.
11: Yeah, first time caller, but I couldn't, haven't been able to get through. I uh, just wanted to let Kevin know that uh, I was about four years old when it happened down there in Roswell. And I remember seeing the flash would scare me the Dickens. And uh, then you I mean
1: saw, you were in Roswell and actually saw it?
11: No, I was actually in Phoenix.
1: You were in Phoenix. Fe-
11: see that, from, that flash from Phoenix? Oh yes. Sir.
1: Oh no kidding.
11: No kidding. And uh, like I say, it scared me the death. And, uh, uh, and later in life when I fi- figured out what it w- uh, was, you know, and then I've become a believer. But but I'm not kidding you one bit. All
1: right. Well, I thank you. Um, I, I, You know, that worries me a little bit, Kevin. Uh, why would anybody become a believer based on the fact that they saw a flash in the sky and it coincides with uh, the rest at, at Roswell uh, without seeing what happened at Roswell to become a believer on the basis of a flash?
2: Well, my question would be how does he relate it to the, the crash at Roswell uh, if, he, if he was four or five years old? How does he know it was, was related to that? The best evidence we had is that there was no flash. There was a streak of light that was seen, but the the, the people who saw it were were all in the Roswell area, and it was a very uh, uh, wasn't very high in the atmosphere when it happened. Otherwise, we would have had reports like that from all over the Southwest, and we could write that off as a, as some kind of a meteoric phenomenon or a, an astronomical phenomenon. So the fact he's in Phoenix, and and I, I just don't see how that would relate to Roswell at all
1: well i am I'm, I'm worried that he would make that leap of uh, of of faith, I guess yeah you'd say. I
2: agree I agree
1: all right, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. hi uh,
14: yes, I'm calling you from Iowa City, Iowa
1: Iowa City, Iowa, okay
14: and uh it's a dumb question, but how come we can get uh, pictures of aliens with uh Clinton and Limbaugh on supermarket tabloids but I can never find one with my camera
3: <laughs>
1: all right, uh thank you i I don't know what to do with that um
15: question.
2: <laughs> well, it's because they're making up the pictures of the aliens with Clinton and, and, uh, and Rush Limbaugh, and we're trying to find real evidence. <laughs> There's the difference.
1: There is, however, a good question buried in that humor, and it is, Kevin, uh, with all of the video recorders and all of the cameras and all of the UFOs, it seems like we ought to have better photographic evidence than we do, or do we have good evidence?
2: We have some very good photographic evidence. There was a picture taken in McMillanville, Oregon, for example, in 1950, that's very good, or the Rex Heflin pictures from uh, California in 1966. There were some good video footage just taken, coincidentally, in Roswell, in, I think it was late March of this year, that they've shown on television a number of times that that is very provocative. But I think the difference is, When we're talking about a UFO, it's very close to the ground. It's not seen over a wide, wide area, so that the opportunities to to film it or photograph it are somewhat limited. And I know of cases where people are just in awe of what they're seeing with a camera hanging around their necks, and they never think to use them.
3: I'm afraid that... combination
2: of all of that...
1: Yeah, that really is true. Um, uh, People have... I've had one UFO uh, sighting, Kevin. I had no camera. Uh, People called me up later and said, well, how come you didn't have a camera? Well, because I don't uh, carry a camera around as a normal part of my life. And uh, even if I'd had one, the chances of getting it out uh, in the dark situation I was in, getting it focused, and getting anything at all usable would be slim and none.
2: Yeah, I I think people also overlook that if you're trying to photograph an an object that uh, is fairly small in the sky that you can make out with your eye, but when you try to photograph it, you lose an awful lot of detail. There's a lot of variables involved. There have been some very good photographic evidence, but even if we had outstanding photographs taken tomorrow, that's not going to prove it because with, with the technology available today, you can fake things so many different ways, Boy, and
1: impossible that it's impossible
2: to. it's to
1: it's it's absolutely true and so um photographic evidence or the value of it is diminishing as we uh, begin to deal with each pixel <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> all right um yeah. is there anything kevin do you think that is going to come along either your book or follow up to your book or more evidence that at any point is going to blow this thing wide open
2: there are hints of documentation uh that we might be able to get our hands on and i'm just when I say we, I mean we as a community, as opposed to Don and me specifically, that may provide us with a way of breaking the thing wide open. Uh, there may be some eyewitness testimony that if, if the specific people will come forward, and there is the talk of one or two major generals who are involved in it, I think if you get someone of that stature to come forward say, yes, I was directly involved and this was, is what I saw, that will have go a long way to adding to our credibility.
1: The smoking saucer, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. All
1: right, Kevin, hold on just a moment. We'll
0: be right back. Now we take you back to the past on Art Bell Somewhere in Time.
1: Back now to Kevin Randall and your calls. Kevin, are you there?
8: I certainly am. All
1: right, good. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hello. Good
4: morning, Art. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Kevin, um, I have a question about the movie that I saw quite a few years ago called, it was either Hangar 18 or Hangar 19. Hangar 18. Oh, yes. Hangar 18. Um, That was a fascinating
8: movie, and wasn't
2: that supposed to involve Roswell? It was. My understanding is when they started to do the the movie, they originally had an idea to do a documentary in the same vein as the search for Noah's Ark, but they couldn't find the people who would go on the record for them, so then they decided to write a movie and made it up from that point. So I guess you could say it's very, very loosely based on the Roswell uh, crash, but it's basically a work of fiction.
4: Okay, because they actually showed it going down somewhere in Arizona.
2: And I think it was the result of a crash with, uh, it, it collided with a space shuttle or a space rocket. Space
4: shuttle, yes. Uh-huh. And the astronauts were involved trying to track it down when they yes. landed. Yes,
2: so but it's, it's all any. fiction.
4: No, okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting program you're on, and I hope we can blow the lid off it. Um, they did have an encounters program on, and also X Files followed up and mentioned it at Roswell tonight.
1: Oh, no kidding.
4: It was very interesting. I recorded both of them. There's
1: so much going on now, and I've missed that one. Doggone it. All right. Thank you very much, caller. Um, Kevin, you're doing a thing up in Portland uh, this weekend. Uh, And again, before I lose track of time, please tell them where it is, how they can come see you in Portland.
2: Well, it's being held at the Red Lion Lloyd Center in Portland, Oregon on Sunday at 2 p.m. They can (laughs) just uh, show up there with their, I guess, their cash in hand and... uh, Uh, get in, but for ticket information, they can also call uh, 224-8499, and that involves me, Don Schmidt, and uh, Michael Lineman.
1: Michael Lineman. Michael is really something. He's a wonderful speaker, and uh, you are too, so I guess this is going to be a pretty good affair.
2: Well, thank you. And by the way, I think Michael was on the uh, uh, Encounters program tonight as well.
1: Oh, and I'm...
2: uh
8: dog
1: there's just too much out there. Um, all right, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hi.
8: Good morning, Art. Good morning. Uh, this is Dennis calling from Portland. Yes, Dennis. Fantastic show. Thank you. Uh, credible people with credible information in this field are few and far between, and this is the one I've been waiting for because Kevin Randall is one of the top people in that category. Right.
2: Thank you. Uh, I'll be. Your $5 is in the mail, by the way. <laughs>
14: I was wondering if you could maybe comment uh, a little bit for me on uh,
8: the uh, government line that this is a popped weather balloon, and if so, why did they threaten people with
2: death over keeping this quiet?
1: Oh, yes. Um, purportedly or allegedly, Kevin, uh, there were threats made. Can you document that?
2: Well, we've talked to a number of people. One of them is Frankie Rowe, who is a 12-year-old girl was visited by four military uh, people, and she was told that if she talked about this, the family would end up at Orchard Park, which was a prisoner of war camp, and she'd be taken out in the desert, and she wouldn't come back. Oh my. Now, you, 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 you could assume that maybe the 12-year-old misunderstood what she was being told by the military. She, she overreacted to it. Um, we've had it corroborated by other family members, but there are other civilians. Glenn Dennis, the Roswell Mortician, was told to be picking his bones out of the sand. Sheriff Wilcox's family, Sheriff Wilcox was told that if he talked about it, his family would be killed. Uh, one of the deputies that we found uh, still alive said he wouldn't talk to us because he didn't want to get shot. So we can sure. document through the testimony of the people involved that they they clearly were threatened. And, and, and the, 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 it's absolutely correct. Why, if it's just a weather balloon, or even if it's a secret project, why are they threatening people with those kinds of dire consequences when other secrets have not been guarded with that kind of savagery. Well,
1: if, if all of that is true, and they were threatening to shoot people for looking into it, what makes you think you're not going to attract some lead?
2: I think that the at, at this point, their best move is just to leave us alone. Because if if they start trying to stop our uh, talking about this or or suppress the information, they're giving us a tacit admission that we're right but by leaving us alone it's such an incredible secret people have a tendency not to believe it
1: it's true on the uh, toll-free line you're on the air with kevin randall hi hi yes sir you're on the air turn your radio off and tell us where you're calling from
6: portland oregon
1: turn your radio off okay that's good go ahead now
6: hey i read a story when i was a young man that it said that uh, uh... at the end of the world war ii That uh, OASA or uh, the Secret Service, they went into uh, Germany and uh, the Russians and the Americans and everything. and uh, They split the scientists and everything, and they had an identical plane prior to 1947 that was identified. And they said they had several prototypes, uh, Nazi Germany.
2: You're talking about the Horton Brothers' designs.
6: I'm not sure about that. They
2: they had a number of flying wings uh, designs. They also had what was called the Comet, which is sort of a tailless aircraft, as they called it. Uh, hmm. the, 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 a lot of the German scientists ended up at, at White Sands or uh, Al- Los, uh, uh, sorry Alamogordo through Operation Paperclip Oper- at the end of World War II.
1: Operation Paperclip. All right, um, Wildcard Line Two. You're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hi.
2: Uh, good morning, Art. This is Rick, a rebellious cab
5: driver out of Portland. and I, I wanted to ask your guest if he had a take on uh, the incident that Richard Hoagland brought up, uh, referring to uh, a firefight in the sky up against something over the skies of Los Angeles in 1942.
2: Uh, the only thing I know is what the, the conventional wisdom is, that uh, it was supposedly written off as uh, war nerves and hysteria, and there was nothing really being shot at by the people. They thought there was something there. That's the only thing I know about it. I haven't heard that uh, Richard Hoagland has uh, any any evidence or any uh, theories that go beyond that.
1: Yeah, but, you know, when you have mass sightings and you write it off as war jitters, uh, that's like talking about swamp gas.
2: Oh, absolutely correct, and I haven't I haven't really looked into that. I'm, I'm saying that's all I know about I it see. is what I've been told.
1: All right, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hi.
16: Hi, I'm calling from San Diego. Yes, ma'am. And I had occasion about a week ago to see some incredible videos. Uh, I guess they're kind of being circulated underground. Um, They had to do with the sightings that were massive sightings in Mexico at the time of the solar eclipse in the early 90s. And, of course, people had their video cameras, and they had their 35 millimeters because they were taking pictures of the eclipse. And there are tremendous numbers of videos from... Mexico City, Puebla, Yes, uh, that went across the whole part of the continent uh, that followed the the solar eclipse.
1: As a matter of fact, uh, I've heard the same rumors, thank you, ma'am, that there are a lot of pictures that have come from Mexico. Do you know anything about that, Kim? I've
2: I've heard the same thing, and that's about, I, I heard that there were some massive sightings in the Mexico City area, and there was some good videotape taken, and that's really about all I know about it.
1: All right. It seems to me we need one central clearinghouse for all this stuff. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Kevin Randall. Hi.
2: How you doing, Mr Bell? This is
17: uh Woodenville, Washington. Yes, hi. How you doing? Uh I got a little story to relate, if I may.
1: It's gonna have to be a little one.
17: Okay. Uh four boys, they were ten years old, nineteen sixty two. We were we were camping out, we were all watching the stars, counting uh shooting stars. And a uh ball of fire shot across right over the top of us going horizontal uh, we thought it was you know really crazy but over the years I've decided that it it wasn't a flying saucer but it was something that was uh, statically controlled it made it it made a noise like a oh uh, well, like a a razor or something it made noise and it left a little trail and mm-hmm. I and over the years, we've uh, I've read things about in Southern California, all sorts of those things were spotted.
1: All right, uh, thank you. Would anything go horizontal, uh, uh, Kevin? Anything that's uh, uh, re-entering, uh, particularly at what appears to be a low altitude?
2: I think uh, I- even meteors can appear to travel almost horizontally.
1: Oh, but Amazing. not, but not at a low altitude, though.
2: Um, no, that would be at a much higher altitude, and I would, I believe, the dynamics of the uh, reentry is such that at low altitude you wouldn't have anything appear to go horizontally unless it's uh, controlled in some fashion.
1: All right. Well, I listen, I been. we are running now very short on time, and I want to wish you luck this weekend. We'll do it one more time. Um, you are going to be where and when?
2: Okay, it's the Red Lion. Uh, Lloyd Center in Portland, Oregon. It's uh, for ticket information. Then call 224-8499. It's Don Schmidt. It's Michael Lindemann, and it's me talking about various aspects of the UFO phenomena. It begins at two o'clock.
1: Excellent. And uh, your book, uh, your book that is, and Donald Schmidt's book. Uh, how did they get hold of this book?
2: Uh, the bookstore should have it. If they don't have it in the bookstore, they can order it from uh, M. Evans Publishers.
1: Okay, Kevin, you have been um, a grand guest. and Thank you. What I would like to do is um, get hold of you or have you get hold of me and book you in on uh, Dreamland, our other program.
2: Delighted to do so. Once I get back home, I'll give you a call next week.
1: I'll look forward to it, Kevin. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. That's Kevin Randall, co-author of The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell. What we're going to do now is pause at the top of the hour, do a little bit of news, come back, and open the... Well, we'll do a normal open, and uh, there's an awful lot of news to talk about. Things are popping all over the place, so we're about to get into it. Brace yourself a Friday night, Saturday morning. From the
0: high desert to the nation, this is Coast to Coast AM. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming out. Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: Get ready. Here comes Open Line Talk Radio. We do not screen calls. We we don't even know what's coming next. I'm going to give you a couple of things to think about here because there is a lot of news going on for a Saturday morning. Hey, it's the weekend, everybody. But, wow, the news. Um, no doubt about it, a legal bombshell. The defense of O.J. Simpson received what uh, is certainly a remarkable boost yesterday when a judge did something that I have never seen a judge do before, and uh, indeed it is confirmed as being very unusual. He went along with a request by uh, Simpson's attorney. He asked members or queried members of a grand jury considering an indictment against Simpson for murder, if they had been affected by the massive publicity surrounding this case, the answer was yes, and the grand jury was ordered immediately dissolved. Incredibly. So, while the case against Simpson goes on, the job of prosecuting just got a lot, lot harder. Attorney Shapiro charged quote, president, uh, uh, prejudicial and improper expressions of personal opinions and uncorrected false and misleading descriptions of evidence uncovered in the investigation of this case end quote the judge bought it the order is done the grand jury action is ended the files are sealed permanently now what brought this on well, a whole raft of things brought it on. The 911 tapes uh, were, uh, were said to be exactly what I told you they were, very prejudicial. And the fact is, some members of that grand jury apparently heard them. But that's not all. That's not all. Marsha Clark, the prosecutor in the case, I can only imagine, this must have been a mistake, a slip of the lip, but what a slip of the lip. She said, and I quote, quote, Mr. Simpson is charged alone because he is the sole murderer, <laughs> end quote. Um, well, that's got to be a mistake, a slip of the lip, eh, Marsha? Because uh, you never say he is the sole murderer murderer, you say he is the sole murder suspect, um, uh, or something uh, like that, you don't say the sole murderer, that would have to be considered somewhat uh, uh, prejudgmental and uh, certainly very prejudicial, and so it's another one of the uh, mistakes made. Now the evidence. Um, Are you ready for even more changes? Remember the bloody ski mask? Doesn't exist. They've got a blue ski cap, They might have found there, but not a ski mask. No blood on it. Remember the bloody clothing yesterday? Yesterday's story was supposed to be in the washing machine in his house. Well, the LAPD has thus far had no comment on that evidence at all. Remember the supposed army entrenching tool that was found as the murder weapon? L.A. Times, Daily News, rather, reported that. LAPD denies it. No entrenching tool, no murder weapon. Remember the report of blood in the golf bag? LAPD now denies it. Not true. Remember the report of scratches on Simpson's hand? Incredibly, Shapiro denies it. Not even a scratch. Maybe just one little mark where he had a a broken glass. Nothing more, they say, than paper cuts. Paper cuts. Incredible! remember the concealed hand the hand under the bag all the way to chicago the flight attendant now denies she ever said anything like that and in fact the passenger who sit sat all that time with oj also didn't see it then of course there's garcetti one of the prosecutors who said well he wouldn't be surprised last sunday on brinkley wouldn't be surprised to see a confession forthcoming from OJ. The pre-trial hearing, in other words, the prosecution of OJ is now going to go forward, uh, but I don't know where it's going to go. Where's the meat? Where's the evidence? There'll be a pre-trial hearing on Thursday. Can he possibly get a fair trial? I'm beginning to wonder if in fact he can. You know, in in a lot of cases, um, they say, well, it's going to be hard, but oh, we'll get a jury and they got one for Rodney King, maybe they're going to get one for O.J., but I, I just don't see how this man can get a fair trial anywhere in the Western Hemisphere, and I'm not even so sure we could uh, uh, change the venue to Europe and get a fair trial. Do you think he actually might beat the charge? Might beat it? On Thursday, in this uh, pre-trial hearing, they will decide whether or not there is enough evidence to even bring him to trial. And uh, I guess I've got to ask, where indeed is the evidence? Remember the groundskeeper? There is another one. Uh, Kalen. I think his name is, Cato Kalen. He's going to testify for O.J., not against O.J. So what's going to happen on Thursday? Well, I'll tell you, the prosecution had better have it its, e- its evidence together... Or that judge could set O.J. free. Might have to set him free. Without a DNA test against Simpson, do they have any case at all? I'm beginning to wonder. And so what began at the the, the beginning of the week uh, as what seemed like overwhelming evidence against O.J., um, we end the week w- with anything but overwhelming evidence. In fact, a question in my mind about whether even uh, they even have enough evidence to bound him over, hold him over for trial. And have you heard the latest? Now, um, O.J.'s very capable um, attorney um, is aided by none other than Alan Dershowitz and Melvin... Bellai, that's right, Melvin Bellai, actively involved. Boy, what a character he is! Melvin's something else, very effective. So is Dershowitz. It's uh, it's almost the equivalent of a uh, of the hand of the creator coming down on O.J.'s legal defense team side or something. It's unbelievable the uh, uh, the uh, the power of the attorneys on his side, and I'm frankly beginning to wonder where they are with this case. So that's where the O.J. Simpson story sits this morning, and it is nothing other than incredible. So if you have comments, um, they're welcome, of course. Then the economy. Brace yourself. There is more severe trouble for the dollar on the world currency markets. Big trouble yesterday, folks. Um, It's beginning to cause a domino effect that is uh, uh, knocking down dominoes on Wall Street. It may require yet another interest rate hike. Wall Street doesn't like that idea one bit. And uh, the Dow fell 62 points yesterday, 140 points since Monday, not good. The dollar is falling against other currencies despite the best efforts of the central banks of the world. They've been intervening, buying dollars. It has not helped. The dollar has continued to plunge near the 100 yen mark, for example, right now. Not good. So my question, despite Greenspan's uh, statement the other day about the relative health of the US economy, uh, I know there are a lot of you out there that watch all of this very carefully, and I would ask you this morning, where are we going? What have we got here? How serious is this? When you have a currency fall, um, unchecked by even uh, central bank intervention, you've got something fairly serious going on. So where do you all think this is uh, going? Another interest rate hike, Wall Street crash, uh, currency devaluation. What's going on here? Yesterday, a Supreme Court ruling that affects just about every land owner in America. Do you own land? The question is, how much power should the federal government have to regulate landowners? In other words, the federal government coming to you and telling you what you must do with your land, your land, in a certain way to preserve the environment. The case uh, stems from the Portland area a lot of news up there lately Tigert Oregon uh, Oregon specifically and the question was if the owner of a plumbing supply business up there wanted to have a bigger store she in this case a uh, uh, she must give the local government must give the local government one tenth of her land just give it to the government. So that the government, in this case, uh, the uh, m- municipality, could build a bike path and provide for flood control. Well, I understand the flood control. But since when, when you want to increase a business on your own damn land, do you have to give some to the city that uh, within which uh, you reside so they can have a bike path? Well, the Supreme Court said no, barely. In a 5-4 vote, they said there was, listen to this, not enough of a connection between the city's demands and the effects of expanding the business. But it was close, very close. A 5-4 to four vote. And that should scare the whiskers right off you. Well, Political news, there's a lot of that. Uh, Mr. Clinton has had a terrible week. Now, I don't know if he's still in St. Louis, where he was earlier in the day. But he may be. And uh, I guess he was doing a talk show on KMOX, our uh, affiliates uh, competitor there in St. Louis. And the president uh, took off really began to complain bitterly about the religious right in America. Falwell, who, as you know, is distributing a tape with um, a number of people who don't have much good to say about the president. In some cases, very serious allegations, uh, which I, too, agree are kind of too far out for me, thank you. Um, but he complained bitterly about uh, Falwell and his tape. The president took off on uh, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, As a matter of fact, he said uh, on that show, after I get off the air today, Rush Limbaugh will have three hours to say anything he wants, and I won't have the opportunity to respond, and there's no truth detector, end quote. Well, since when does the President of the United States feel it necessary to take off at a talk show host? (laughs) it uh, i'll tell you what it sounds like if you listen to the president's uh, words and you read not very far between the lines it would be pretty simple to translate this complaint to legislation in the form of uh regurgitating the fairness doctrine now i can just feel it in my bones uh, Rush Limbaugh, in his typical um, uh, way, responded by saying, well, does this mean uh, the president's going to start agreeing with me <laughs> with regard to the comment about the truth detector? So what do you think about what the president said? What do you think this means? What does it mean? Does it mean the president is getting ready to come after the talk show host? oh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Mr. President, uh, if you're still in St. Louis at this hour, you're welcome to call this program, and I'll certainly put you on the air, Mr. President. You're welcome to respond to Rush, anything he's said or anything I've said, and I've said a lot. So has Rush. So have a lot of others. Is the day of the talk show about to end, ladies and gentlemen? Is that what our president was suggesting Well, this one ought to put a little crick in your neck. This comes from Reuters News Service, and I picked it off Internet. A British scientific research body said Friday, it's found evidence of a rapid rise in temperature in Antarctica that could cause a global disaster. The British Antarctic Survey's Faraday Research Base on the Antarctic Peninsula has recorded the fastest sustained warming since worldwide temperature records began 130 years ago. The rise is the fastest we've got on record people should be looking to the future or the consequences could be quite dire, according to Dr. John King, head of the survey's meteorological group. Temperatures at Faraday have been recorded since 1947, interesting year, show a rise of about a half a degree centigrade a decade. Scientists fear the sensitive Antarctic region is acting as a warning beacon that the global climate is rising. It could be a, uh, a sentinel region, according to King. The global warming theory predicts man-made pollutants in the atmosphere will trap the sun's heat, warming the globe, melting the polar ice sheets. Not good. The subsequent rise in world water levels would submerge vast tracts of inhabited land. Are you listening, Seattle? Are you listening, San Francisco and Los Angeles and San Diego? Hmm? Gurgle, gurgle. So, there it is. That's Reuters news from London. The, uh, the It sounds to me as though they're saying, look out, it's going to melt. It's going to melt. It's getting hot. You think that's true? Or do you think that's a bunch of baloney? All right, we'll get to two-way
0: talk here in a moment. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: An awful lot to talk about this morning. Before the bottom of the hour, just let's try one call. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Good morning.
14: Yeah, this is Charlie Libro in California.
1: Hallelujah.
14: First of all, let me just say that uh, I want to thank Bill Clinton for finally coming out and uh, giving these uh, religious Bible thumpers who are trying to take over a political party what for.
1: Yeah, you know, I really it, let him have it, didn't he?
14: Well, I think they're finally starting to realize that normal people out there are not going to stand for this. And I think I think it was the thing... It was a thing with uh. You
1: know the, what he did, Charles? He actually called Falwell. Um, well, um, uh, he said it was not a very Christian thing of him to do, and uh, oh, sort of Falwell, saying. Oh,
14: Falwell. Let's face it, Fall the Reverend, and I use the term loosely.
1: The Reverend.
3: The
14: Reverend Falwell. I mean, the guys. The guys are scuzz. The guys a scuzz. Bucket. Those guys get on TV. They collect all this money. It's just like that fool who got on TV. Uh, a couple years ago, and said God was going to kill him if if people didn't send in money to him. I mean, that's the level that these guys are at.
1: Well, I follow you. I wouldn't call him a scuzz bucket. I think that you know, don't you worry uh, about being eternally damned, uh, Charles?
14: No, I was I, when that, when that guy did that. I was going to call into the uh, into his show and say uh, I'm going to send the money to God and, uh, so he can hurry up and kill the guy. I mean, I could care less <sighs> whether God killed him or not. But uh, the guy's that, the, what Bill Clinton's basically saying is that these people have no right to, to involve themselves in politics uh, to the level that they've done.
1: And how about that Rush Limbaugh?
14: Rush well, Rush Limbaugh well, the man is politically extreme and he spends and he's and he's got an open air 3 hours a day. Oh uh, yeah. basically attack and lie about Bill Clinton's record. And when you've got somebody lying about your record Three hours a uh, day—that's bound to uh, distort every single thing that you're doing. And by God,
1: it's gotta be stopped. We need a little regulation. The man is making.
14: The man is making. Hey, Charles,
1: look, I'm at the bottom of the hour. Do you want to hold on?
14: Yes, thank you.
1: Yes, all right. Man has got to go, doesn't he? Got to go. Pretty lippy. Three hours a day.
0: He's got to go, along with the First Amendment. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More Somewhere in Time coming up. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: Absolutely on a Saturday morning. And uh, unlike newspapers that bury it on the last page, if I made a mistake, I'll put it right here on the front page. Um, I think I said that the um, uh, the attorneys are now working um, on the side of O.J. were Alan Dershowitz and Melvin Belli. I probably meant to say Alan Dershowitz and F. Lee Bailey. And it is a pretty close association because I heard... Um, so it, it was F. Lee Bailey, I guess, not uh, Melvin Belli. It seems like Melvin ought to be involved, though. <laughs> F. Lee Bailey, I think, consults now, they said, on a daily basis. Isn't that what they said? So that's uh, being very closely involved, indeed, with the case. Here is from St. Louis, Deadline, uh, Dateline St. Louis, a prodigy uh, Internet story. President Clinton in an airborne live radio interview Friday heatedly lashed out at Rush Limbaugh and other conservative radio talk show hosts accusing them of, quote, a constant, unremitting drumbeat of cynicism, end quote. In a phone call to a St. Louis talk radio station, MOX it is, from Air Force One, Clinton also took on evangelical Christian broadcasters mentioning Jerry Falwell by name, Said, "Quote: Remember, Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple. Whew. Didn't try to take over the job of the money changers." Clinton said, "Ooh, ooh, <laughs> that's pretty severe stuff." Uh, now back to uh, one in sympathy with that kind of rhetoric. Charles, you're back on the air again.
14: Well, you're damn right, Bill Clinton should be upset. I think it'd be on the it would be on the same level. If I got a radio talk show and I constantly 3 hours a day was bombarding you, Art Bell was late paying his taxes. Art, but, Art you know, Bell was always late chilling up Charlie, for work.
1: Charlie, don't you really want to retain the right to do that though? I mean, one day you might want to go on the radio. Well,
14: here's Here's what
1: Come on, Charlie, answer that.
14: Well, I'm not saying that uh, the, the, the you know the well, what are you off the radio. What are you saying then? The main thing. Let me give you a rare compliment. Uh, you know, it's sure you distort Bill Clinton's record, <laughs> and, and, and sure you're an extremist, and sure sometimes you don't know what you're talking <sighs> Get about. Get to the
1: damn compliment. Come on.
14: At least, at least uh, you don't spend 90% of your show bombarding Bill Clinton. You spend like of your show bombarding Bill
3: Clinton and 60% of your show talking
14: about Martians building towers on the moon.
3: But at least that's
14: 50-50. This guy basically should change his show from the Rush Limbaugh show to the attack Bill Clinton show. Because that's all he does.
1: Fine. Bitch, bitch, bitch. All right. But listen, Charlie, if he can have, uh, in other words, I guess we're saying he has a right to have the attack Bill Clinton show if that's what he wants it to be. And uh, and you have a right to have an, an attack art Bell show if you want it to be that way. Now, Charlie, you don't want to lose that right, do you?
14: No, but what Bill Clinton is saying is that it's, it's a right, but it's irresponsible. And there's a difference between uh, giving people rights and uh, just letting people do what the heck they want to do. All right. And well, that... he's crossed. I think art. I think he's crossed over that line. And I think uh, what Bill Clinton is saying is we need to push Rush Limbaugh back a little, and we absolutely must stop the religious right. And I think the, con- the people like yourself, well, you're an extremist, but, I mean, normal people, even in the Republican Party, should fear the religious Bible thumpers from getting uh, into the political ring.
1: All right, thank you. Um, well, that's a point of view. I'll accept that. It's a point of view not one I not want to share, but it's a point of view. Uh, the question is how you, uh, quote, knock or push people like Rush Limbaugh back. Uh, See, what you're ignoring is um, uh, that he's now on, um, what, 600 and some odd radio stations? Uh, So how do you push him back, Charles? You might wish him back, but I don't know about pushing him back, unless you want to regulate, unless you want to tamper around under the hood with the First Amendment a little bit. Uh, maybe uh, a regap the blugs in the First Amendment engine. Is that what you want to do, Charles? Uh, we're on almost a hundred, just about a hundred. Matter of fact, we're going to be celebrating, I think, a hundred uh, radio stations next week, or at the latest, the week after. I don't know. We'll have to see how it. Uh, we just got another affiliate in uh, Michigan, I think, yesterday, up near the Canadian border. So I guess what I'm saying is, my show, Russia's show. Um, a lot of other shows out there are immensely popular and they are where they are, uh, not because of uh, anybody's particular uh, political view, but because of popularity, because of popularity. because it gets ratings, because people listen, because sponsors sponsor, uh, because they're going viable entities. So unless you're willing to regulate or legislate, Against shows like this one, or rushes, uh, you you might be a-wishin' and a-hopin', but you better not be pushing and a-shovin'. On the wildcard line, you're on the air. Hello. Uh,
5: hi, Art. This is uh, James. Uh, Spokane, 1230
1: KSBN. Good. Welcome to the program.
5: I should say a sad Spokane uh, in light of the...
1: Yes, of course.
5: ...just the last week. It's a bizarre twilight zone. Um... In regards to this uh, ubiquitous uh, 911 uh, mm-hmm. phone call, yes. I've been listening to it just out of the fact that it's, hmm. it's on every channel.
1: You couldn't miss it, that's right.
5: And uh, it strikes me as being very strange. It almost sounds like it could be it could be a staged uh, phone call. And I say that in just the, the fact that in the length of time she's on the phone talking to the dispatcher, uh, she doesn't seem uh, really... Um, too upset, and and he's in the back.
1: Oh, I don't know where you get that. I mean, she she was saying, "Look, he's he's about to come beat the uh, s out of me." You know. Well,
5: all, well, no, uh, it's the other call when he was supposedly talking out the back door to the the person that lived. Oh yes. In the back. Yes. And then uh, she just, uh, and then all of a sudden, um, he never comes to the whole time. And like, if he was uh, wanting to gain access, he would have came and confronted her.
1: Well, I will say this. And ask
5: her, who are you talking to? Or I will
1: say this. On the basis of the telephone calls, there's a lot of screaming and yelling, but there's no a-thumping and a-hitting, not any that I was able to hear. And any. then you hear,
5: like, this, this knock where he sounds like he's closer and he's supposed to be checking a, a bedroom door to see who's behind it or something. Yeah. And well, I, don't know, well, I just think that the whole thing, you're going to find out it's some kind of a, a, a setup.
1: The phone calls prove they had a bad marriage. Uh, it proves that they fought like, uh, like cats and dogs, and that there may have been a lot going on. What it does not prove is that O.J. Simpson killed Nicole Simpson and uh, Mr. Goldman.
5: I, I'll bet you he didn't, Art. You know, another thing that disturbed me was they showed video of uh, Nicole's sister removing articles. and showed her in a, uh, with a box and put them in her trunk out of this Nicole's house, and that seems highly irregular.
1: This whole scene. case, this whole case, sir, is highly irregular.
5: She could have been removed in all kinds of things that would have been, uh, um,
1: you know... Count this as one of the biggest stories of the year. Maybe the biggest. Thank you very much for the call. A really big story. And whether, I'll, I'll tell you, there is the possibility that the prosecution will not be able to muster enough um, enough um, evidence to even ensure that he's bound over for trial. Do you realize that in the prelim hearing, which begins next week? Should that occur, he'd be cut loose. He'd be back on the street. <laughs> no telling where that one would go. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hello.
4: Uh, yes, my name is Otis from St. Louis, KSD.
1: Good uh, good morning, Otis. Uh, is the president still there?
4: Uh, no, I think he left uh, after a private $1,000 a pop dinner tonight. I see. Uh,
1: Attended well, I suppose?
4: Well, I didn't get a chance to make it down. Uh, being a 24-year-old, I don't <laughs> really have $1,000 to blow. But, uh, you know, one of the things that bothered me, uh, I've been keeping a track on the news, and me and a buddy of mine were listening to the comments that I came across Camo X. Yes. And what I have found, which really scares me about my generation, which is pretty uh, screwed up at the time, is uh, the general attitude is that they believe with basically what Clinton says. They're pretty much anti-religious uh, very socialist.
1: I, I kind of felt sorry uh, for the talk host on KMOX. I don't know who it was, but the president jumped all over his stuff. I mean, the, the poor guy simply asked Clinton about the uh, thievery, or the, uh, maybe it shouldn't be called thievery, souvenir hunting of the White House staff while our, they were on board this aircraft carrier, right?
4: Right. Well, you know, he...
1: And the president came unglued at the guy, and, you know, as a talk show host... Oh, yeah, I mean, after all, having the President of the United States on, that must have been a rough one.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, the host tried to ask him a few questions, and, and it sounded like to me that President Clinton just basically was livid and basically lost his cool.
1: Yeah, he lost it.
4: But you know, I, one I of agree interesting things that I agree I with find you. Find you know
1: you know what the White House said later the White House said oh no uh and they had this thing where he was shouting they said uh, he wasn't angry uh he was just having to shout over the uh the aircraft noise going on or something or another baloney this guy was uh was crawling out of his skin
4: right well I saw video footage on that just probably about an hour ago and uh the hosts of the show were looking at each other in amazement like I can't believe this is happening yeah and uh, you know, being a young man here in St. Louis and, and interacting with a lot of people of my generation, you know, I've been called a racist and extremist. I've been put down. Oh, me too.
1: Uh, I have they haven't, haven't come they,
4: up to me and argue with me all the time? Haven't
1: they, they? Haven't they called you a Nazi yet?
4: Uh, yes, I've oh, been they, called that. In have, fact, see, a friend of mine uh, hmm. two days ago basically called me uh, a neo-Nazi Nazi. and told hmm. me that I should be put in a concentration camp.
1: Uh huh. That's
4: a switch on terms.
1: Probably bunk right next to Fallwell. <laughs>
4: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, it's, it's kind of scary. Uh, there are a number of people that, uh, you know, I, I, well, I was in Chicago about three weeks ago with a bunch of people, uh, mid-20s. Most of them are uh, going to law school. And uh, what really surprised me, we got into a lot of political discussions while we were out on the town. And of the 25 people I happened to be out with at the time, mm-hmm. 22 of them basically said that they were socialist and they thought that it would be okay to give up their rights. Hmm. And that scares me because that's a predominant attitude amongst the 20-something generation.
1: Well, I thought a lot of what the president had to say yesterday was very chilling indeed because it feels like a precursor to either regulation or legislation that would uh, uh, attempt to silence such critics.
4: Uh Uh-huh. Well, you know what is amazing to me? Him being the President of the United States, if anybody has the ability to get his word and his message out, it's this man. And, you know, I mean, who is he to, to start going off and putting down talk show hosts? This is a free country where it used to be. Uh, I'm not so sure if my generation is going to have much of a free country in the next 10 to 20 years or even in the next couple.
1: Yeah. he? I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder about the same thing, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wonder about the same thing, and I asked that almost that very question in a different form yesterday morning. Uh, in another thirty or fifty years, as we all look back uh, at America's history, on roughly what date do you think we will conclude that um, uh, American individualism? Uh, American basic freedoms, in, as described in the Bill of Rights, basically began to disappear. What sort of historical judgment would you make about that? A lot of people said, in the 70s, Art. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Uh,
15: Dr. Democrat.
1: Oh, Dr. Democrat.
18: Uh, good morning, Art. Uh, Charlie was absolutely right about the religious right and Russian Limbaugh. Was he? Absolutely right, and i got a lot more to add.
1: Well, let's talk about where it goes. You know, you complain and you bitch and you moan about Rush and about uh, Jerry Falwell and religious right and all the rest of it. Let's get to the bottom line, Doc. What do you want done?
18: I think uh, most Americans believe in the separation of church and state. And I don't think they want people, fanatics, like Jerry Falwell or Pat Robertson, getting into the White House or getting into Congress and telling the American people that if you don't believe the way we believe, you're not an American. We're going to have religious wars and all kinds of things that the Republicans said in the 1992 Republican Convention. I don't think America wants that. And I think I have a lot of Republican friends that are pretty worried and pretty upset about this. In fact, a couple of them are thinking about leaving the Republican Party. Oh, no. And when you get a guy like Fogwell who's selling a videotape for 1995 that accuses the President of the United States of murder, Mm. he's a radical. Hmm. And and what has happened here is that Falwell and Robinson have taken over the Republican Party. and The Republican Party got shaky knees. All
1: right, Doc. All right, Doc. Uh, We're in the same old rut here. We're doing what the president did. Benjamin question is, what do you want to do about it? Well,
18: I don't want to do anything about it because I'm not worried about it because it's going to hurt the Republicans in the elections. So I hope they keep it up and escalate it myself. But I'm just bringing out the facts of life. And as far as Limbaugh goes... He, he'll throw out anything across the radio. He won't exactly say, you know, I, I got evidence. I think it's 100% uh, true. But what he'll say, he'll just throw out anything that some hobo in Arkansas will bring up, any allegation that has no evidence, that's unfounded, he'll throw it out there to try to make people think it's true because so many people think Limbaugh is God. You know, all the ditto heads out there, they think that their brainwash is what they are. And, and believe me, I don't want to do anything about it. You
1: well, don't want to do anything about it?
18: Nothing at all, because Clinton is absolutely right. Now, Clinton hasn't said a word about this for 18 months. He's let those people run their mouths and run their mouths, and now he's getting fed up with it because they're throwing such dirty uh, charges at him. It's the most dirty pool I've ever seen. I mean... uh it's okay to bash. It's okay to criticize his policies and, and dissect them and analyze them. and Well, okay, on
1: then them. I'll deal with it at this level. What do you think the pre- uh, president's criticism of Limbaugh will do? Will it bring Limbaugh to his knees? Oh,
18: no, not at all. He'll have fun with it. But the thing of it is that uh, I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's setting up a foundation for a backlash against Limbaugh and the Republicans.
1: Yes, a legislative or regulatory backlash, Doc. Huh? No. Once, oh, uh, yes.
18: No, once Whitewater, once... Uh, uh. Huh. Clinton is not uh, guilty of murder. Once uh, uh, they can't prove Paula Jones, when all these uh, charges that you guys have been bringing up are proven to be not true, the Republican Party is going to take a big hit. And because people are going to see right through it. They, the people aren't stupid. They know what they know. it's partisan. They know what the Republican strategy is. Just throw everything in the kitchen sink at them, and something might stick. Because uh, they can't beat him on his policies. The deficit's coming down. Uh, jobs are going up. We're on our way to peace in North Korea. He's fighting for universal health care. He's, he's tough on crime. He's tough on welfare reform. And Republic, he stole those issues from the Republicans, and they're mad. And so they're trying. The only way they can defeat him, because they know he's such a great campaigner, too, is to throw this uh, uh, illegal, unfounded, untruth uh, charges at him.
1: Well, no wonder he's upset with Falwell, because the way you just described him, he sounds like our
0: creator. will be back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello.
7: Yeah, good morning, Art. Good morning, sir. Um uh, is Sean Kong from La- uh, Big Sky Country.
1: <laughs> okay, Sean.
7: Or Last Best Place, whatever you want to say. Um, ANC is reporting right now about um, Branch Davidians up in Denison. Yes. Um, Colorado saying that they might be armed with weapons.
1: Yes, and they've got darkened windows. And, you know, I don't quite understand why they're doing what they're doing. It's almost as if they are saying to the federal government, here we are. Come and try to get us. We're ready for a standoff. You know, isn't that the way it sounds to you?
7: Oh, I haven't heard about the darkened windows or anything. Basically, what I've heard being reported is Branch Divinians are looking for a new home.
1: Yeah, but don't you get the same sense? I mean, why would they be so public about this as if to say, here's where we're going to be. You want us? Come get us. You know, another standoff. We're ready.
7: Right. Yeah, I, I kind of get that same aspect there, but, um, just, I don't know, it seems like a big media hype to me. Okay, well, we got these branch Davidians in Denison, well, we got to go in and take care of them there, you know, they're bad news having Davidians, you know, in America. Or yeah, I heard
1: even- the, uh, sheriff of the town said why, uh, uh, they had better not break the law, and he sounded like he was ready to go charging in himself. And I, I don't know why do we, why do we have to have more of this?
7: I don't know. I, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of the O.J. thing. I'm more concerned about the way this country's going and the socialistic aspects of what's happening. And what's going to be left for the next generation? Well,
1: that's a good question, Sean. Thank you. We've got to go to the news, top of the hour. We'll be
0: right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994. time with art bell continues courtesy of premier networks welcome back everybody to the best talk radio in the nighttime may we
1: always be around uh, dear art here's a fax from ken staying up late tonight enjoying the show rush limbaugh's great think he is clinton on the run let's hope he can run him out as for charlie i think he's a worthless piece of human debris One can only hope that someday people with this lousy attitude realize they were misguided. They are the ones that are brainwashed. (laughs) First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Eric.
19: Hi. This is Jim from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Hi, Jim. A couple days ago I was listening to Rush's show, and he was saying how it was pretty much driven by his opinion.
1: His, yeah, that's, that's correct.
19: His agenda. Today I'm listening to him, and he's talking about how it's a bastion of a see, the seeking of truth. And I would suggest that as a commentator, which he has every right to be on the air, uh, commentary and truth and fact don't aren't necessarily the same thing. They may that's intersect right. every once in a while. Um, and so I think that's what Bill Clinton was getting at, and I think... What he did today was a mistake on his part because it did empower Rush. Uh,
1: yeah, it was It was absolutely a mistake, unless it is a prelude to something dark and really sinister.
19: Well, which I sincerely doubt. I think it was more of a fit of temper than anything else, um,
1: and a reaction. Yeah, but can't you almost see him sitting at his Oval, oval Office desk, uh, having one of his well-renowned private fits of temper, and grabbing a uh, the old executive order for him, and... Uh, uh, assigning it, uh, and who knows what would happen then?
19: Uh, not at all, because I think the fit of temper becomes, it it, que- it, it passes and it's also tempered by cooler heads. Uh, the point is, is that I think he's correct, and that Rush presenting his show as this beacon of truth, when in fact it's nothing more than his opinion most of the time.
1: Uh, well, so it's a beacon of opinion. I mean, it really does not matter, Rush, uh, as long as he stays within uh, legal, Uh, limits, uh, is free to say what he wants to say. If he wants to claim sort of absolute, uh, uh, written on tablet truth, it's his right to do so.
19: Well, absolutely, but there's people who take it as truth, and that's the danger. What I, the danger that I've seen is that, and, and he flies in the face of his own words in, in almost the next sentence, is the divisiveness that's caused. The point is is that, and even you said it earlier tonight, you, you you used the word, you said that the liberals are closer to fascism than any any uh, right-wing group ever has been. That's right. Why paint any group with this broad brush that only causes divide us further? I mean, we're all supposed to be working together here. And that's... that's
1: the, no, that's, no, we're not. No, that's... not working no, together? No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, that's an absolute myth. So the, everything, the look, everything... Look, sir. Uh, America is based on... Uh, two or more competing systems of ideals and ideology. We're based on that uh, consistent friction, that difference. That's what makes America strong. Not that we all uh, pull behind one wagon no matter what. President Clinton, right or wrong, by God, he's our president. No, that's not what we're all about.
19: No, it's not a right or wrong. But you do work with your neighbor, do you not, to try and, and try and make your town, your, you know, on a micro basis? Yes. Okay, and your neighbor just might happen to be one of those groups like that uh, that is bashed on Russia's show.
1: Maybe so, but like, what if, sir? What if your neighbor wants to take part of your property for a bike path?
19: Oh, were you listening to Milwaukee radio today? <laughs>
1: No, I just, you know, I, you know, the Supreme Court had a ruling uh, yesterday with regard to this, and th- I'm trying to describe to you the difference, the real difference, and the important difference in our points of view about things. So I'm not going to pull with my neighbor if he wants to take my land.
19: But we have to find the middle ground, otherwise what we end up with is civil war. And that doesn't do anybody any good on either side of the fence, does it?
1: No. You know, no, sir. But we have a system that's designed to have this adversarial relationship. For example, between the press and uh, um, and government, uh, various uh, forms of government or branches of government. And without that, uh, we've got much more danger to our future than if we were to all somehow talked into pulling on the same
0: train.
19: I absolutely agree with you i mean that's the, the the press as watchdog which they're roundly criticized for whenever as being uh, you know negative reporting and so on and so forth uh, rush has his right but he should not present as fact and truth that which isn't and that's where we get down to. There's a big difference between a commentator and a journalist. You like to take on journalists all the time. If I was a journalist, I would, well, the point is, Rush, you're not a journalist, and you don't govern your show by what is supposed to be the standards of journalism.
1: Well, but if, you if, are if the one, but, sir, the truth, you, but sir, sir, you are the one required to recognize that difference.
19: Well, you're as, right about that. As and a listener. Come, Pardon
1: me? As a listener.
19: Yes, and he claims that his listeners do, but when you get the caller calls in and says, mega Diddles Rush, in other words, I agree with everything you say, yeah. I don't think there's much, uh, you know, there isn't discerning listening going on.
1: Uh. All right, sir, thank you. Look, the only rap that I would have against Rush, and he has every right to do it, uh, there's all kinds of different uh, talk radio. And I feel that the best argument against imposition of the Fairness Doctrine or whatever it is that our prez has in mind, is the open uh, line aspect of talk radio. And I think that any um, a commentator, talk show host, worth his salt, uh, should not be afraid to face the calls as they come in. And by that I mean not uh, screening them out for content or general interest level, or uh, ratio of agreement with the talk show host before the call is put through on the little computer screen. Uh, You can always recognize uh, uh, shows that have that, because they will say, John from Milwaukee, hi, welcome to the show. Well, the only way John from Milwaukee um, uh, could, uh, could be known before the fact was that somebody picked up the call and screened it, uh, and, uh, then there are various levels of screening for agreement, for interest, uh, blah, 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 blah. You can screen for all kinds of things, and as I've said, the best argument against a prepared point of view or a managed point of view is, uh, is not managing. That's the best argument against it. It's what we do here. It's a braver, uh, form of talk radio, and I'm not saying that I'm. Not much braver than anybody else. I'm just saying that it's a good way to do it, and it's a good argument against regulation. That's all. And it's my way. On the toll-free line, you're on the on the air. Hello. Uh, yes. Oh, yes.
12: <laughs> my name is Christine.
1: All right, Christine, where are you?
12: I'm in Sacramento, California.
1: Sacramento. Uh, KST, yes.
12: Uh, this is the first time I ever listened to your show, your program. Well, I used I I I watched a program on TV tonight about the alien thing. I wanted to say that I had an uncle who worked for the Project Blue Book. Oh. And the it, there was so much secrecy in that that the people themselves had they had things done to them that they weren't allowed to talk and danger came to their families also
1: You mean like your family?
12: Yeah, it it became
1: What kind of danger? What happened to your family?
12: Well, anyone who worked anyone who worked in high security things, they're not allowed to say anything.
1: So you can't tell us what happened. Pardon? So you can't tell us what happened?
12: Well, I know his wife. They said his wife committed suicide, but she didn't, you know, things like that. They're, they're well, not allowed Well, what do you mean? Are you they, saying
1: his wife was murdered? I believe so. Why? A
12: lot of us do. Why? Because he worked on the Project Blue Book.
1: Well, well then why would much. that? Well, he, so you was, know, you kn- Well, he knew too much or his wife knew too much?
12: He knew too much.
1: And so then they killed his wife as a warning?
12: I believe so. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. That's why a lot of people don't talk up, and they they don't say anything.
1: Well, if that was the case, my wife would have been dead long ago for as much talking as I do about this sort of thing. Or I'd have been dead. But here I am, still, after all these years. On the Wild Card line you're on the air. Hello.
20: Radio Free America. Yes. Say, uh, isn't this fairness doctrine uh, the censorship art?
1: It would depend uh how it's applied. I mean, it could turn out to be that. You yes. Look,
20: you know, aren't these the same folks on the left that uh, decry since, you know, you know, the mention of censorship, you That's know, right. they're uh you know they're appalled at the thought.
1: Well, by God, they want their right to burn an American flag. You know that's a that's your right as going to take our flag and burn that sucker, and that's that's a freedom that's a freedom of expression of yeah, speech. It's
20: more bombastic babble. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the jury forewoman uh, said the government in the trial tampered with evidence and withheld evidence. And there's a rumor, and I'm praying to God it's true, that Jerry Spence is going to be involved in an appeal in the Waco case. So
1: uh, That would make sense.
20: Yeah. The Clinton. There's a new uh, video out, I have not seen it, called The Clinton Chronicles.
1: Yeah, I've got it. I've seen it.
20: Uh, is it good?
1: Uh, on a couple of levels, it is. You know, it's the latest uh, Nichols and Company offering. Right. And I, I feel that that video documents um, cronyism uh, in the Clinton administration beyond any shadow of a doubt. It, it documents a lot of cronyism uh, in Arkansas, but a lot of the charges it makes, unfortunately, I think don't stand. It's got uh, the it,
20: executive producer of uh, 60 Minutes on it. But, yeah, I, I know. He edited I know. the Clinton piece the way he wanted to...
1: Yes, he admits it.
20: Clinton would never have made it past New Hampshire.
1: That is correct. He saved uh, uh, Clinton's butt in New Hampshire, and uh, he's been kind of kicked in the butt for it.
20: Um, Also, uh, I will fully support what Bill Sapphire is decrying, full disclosure on Whitewater. And was uh, Lloyd Cutler the guy that was putting pressure on that guy uh, for 60 minutes?
1: Yeah.
20: It's amazing. It really Uh, is.
1: All right, sir. Thank you. What I don't think uh, was made in that film, um, there were allegations of drug dealing. I think they were not connected to Clinton. Uh, Let me repeat that. They were not connected to Clinton. Then it got down to the the body count and the people that have been dying and all the rest of it and tried to make that case and did not make it. So, you know, it did a couple of things very well. It certainly uh, documented the lies that have been told and it documented the cronyism. But it didn't make any of the charges that you would need if you were to take any uh, legal action, I'm sorry, but uh, that's the way I read it. I watched the film uh, very carefully. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello,
13: Mr. Bill. This is Nathan in Santa Cruz. Hello. Um, I first of all like to say it's very bad, too, very too bad about that airplane that crashed, and I. Uh, didn't catch whether the people were all right or not. But,
1: no, the crew is dead. Uh, no, nobody on the ground was killed, though.
13: Then I hope their their families are all right and, and everything of that nature.
15: And
1: generally, a generally if a B fifty two comes down in any sort of populated area, anybody generally on the ground does not live through the experience.
15: Oh well, well it's good that they lived then,
13: that, that the people on the ground did. Well, anyways, once again, it's very very that's very very too bad, and uh, the people there have my. Uh, uh, condolences on that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, let me move on. I uh, of course, consider myself a liberal or or at least have in the past, and I'm upset about this idea that I'm somehow out to take away people's guns or to take you off the air. I'm a fascist, or uh, this to me is is not fair discourse. Uh, for you know, there was a, a fax that was on earlier. Where a fellow said that how often conservatism is equated with fascism. Well, I'd like to, I actually agree with them, and I'd like to say that uh, how often even my views are equated as being communism. As a matter of fact, just yesterday on local radio, some woman thought I was a communist, and she called in, Oh, I'm a communist, and that somehow discredited everything I'm saying. When I'm actually, actually, I, I'm not. I believe in, in, in liberty and republic. So I think that uh, this kind of discourse uh, can go both ways. and uh, You're
1: absolutely right, Congressman. And,
13: and, and I think that... Uh, that um, I'm sorry, I'm losing my, my track here. But I think that... I, I, I'm, I'm upset by this notion that I'm somehow a fascist or something. I don't support the uh, fairness doctrine for television or talk radio...
1: Um, All right. How did you read the president's comments yesterday?
13: I have to admit, I didn't uh, exactly follow them. I saw the headline that says Clinton uh, lashes out at uh, Falwell and Limbaugh.
1: Mm. Um, yeah,
3: he if, actually. It's
13: Clinton's right to say what he wants to say, as much as it is.
1: Yeah, but Limbaugh... yeah, but I know, but he kind of lost it. And uh, presidents, as a general rule, are best advised to stay above this sort of thing, uh, criticism of this sort in the media. And to lash out that way, uh, particularly in a sort of lost temper situation, is pretty chilling when you're the president.
13: Well, I am, have had many difficulties with uh, uh, various things in the Clinton administration. I will say, though, that in my viewpoint, even Reagan, with the criticism he got, didn't seem to be as horrible. I mean, th- to me, the uh, never-minding policy things and things you disagree with, uh, the way that Clinton was was handled by the Republicans from the very beginning was absolutely... I mean, if anything could drive someone over the edge, to me, and this is how all how it seems to me, of course, it was how Clinton... Not that everything wasn't fit, not that everything was unfair, but how Clinton was handled just the from the very beginning, that whole, uh, really, that whole uh, Republican National Convention to me was a very, yeah. very big uh, b- buffoon, I don't know how to describe All it. All
1: right, well, that's good enough. Thank you. Uh, well, with regard to Mr. Clinton and being driven over the edge, I think that uh, it's,
0: uh, it's not a long journey. Somewhere in Time, with Art Bell, continues, courtesy of Premier Networks.
1: On the first-time caller line, you're on the air. Hi.
11: Hello, Mr. Bell. Hello. This is Bob, Bob, radio off in Tacoma, Washington. Yes. Roughly, I just moved. I call to talk about the... uh... Aliens, you are speaking of earlier. Yes. I found out that, uh, you know, you get a lot of information and, it, and little pieces of a puzzle, and it starts forming a picture. And uh, on abductions, there are certain people who are abducted throughout their entire life, and this is used for experimentation and or... Um, As one woman uh, on a show was saying, she was implanted and then abducted again and they were taken out and rovers were taken out and then they were grown in test tubes, so to speak. And this is to get people or aliens who look like us who could pass for us down here.
1: Well, that's really going to be a problem because if they look like us, how is one to know?
11: uh we really aren't tell
1: you the truth well that's it and see every time i open my alien line what do i get aliens lots of them. people claiming to be aliens walking among us but saying they are aliens all right well thank you very much for the call on the wild card line you're on the air hello
12: hi
16: art this is virginia in tucson
1: hi virginia How are you? Just fine.
16: That uh, Doc Democrat really got my goat. Um, I had to call. I just uh, feel like they're always bashing people that have any kind of faith at all.
1: Well, to me, as I listened to Doc uh, this morning, I could almost see Bill Clinton slowly descending to earth on uh, gossamer wings, you know, an angelic figure uh, come to set all right with us.
16: Well, I'm going to tell you um, that not all... People that have a faith are ignorant. I um, am very interested in history. Uh, I've read a lot about the Civil War, about Abraham Lincoln, the Black Movement. I've served in the Air Force. I worked on the Minuteman Missile Project. Um, oh. I've studied on In Search of Noah's Ark, uh, which was uh, James Irwin, who was an astronaut, was oh, very yes. interested in. Oh, yes. I love politics. Uh, I have a rounded view. But when it comes to my faith, I'm very centered on it because I know exactly what I believe. But I don't believe in pushing it off on anybody else either. And uh, I, I just don't understand the mentality of somebody that will say, Bible thumper. I, what do they mean by that?
1: Mm, Jerry Falwell. Um, Leonard. Uh, people who are vocal about their faith and... Um, They are uh, as extreme on one side as some of the faith are on the other. That's the way I view it. Look, this is America, damn it. People have a right to say what they want. I'm not a Bible thumper, but I would sure get out and fight to protect the Bible thumpers, you know, if somebody tried to shut them down.
16: Well, you have to look at it this way. One minute it's guns, one minute it's cigarettes, one minute it's Bible thumpers. What's next?
1: Talk show hosts.
16: It better not be, or we're <laughs> well, out of luck right here. Well,
1: that's right, but I mean, how else do you read, not very far between the lines, uh, in the President's remarks yesterday?
16: Well, I'll tell you what it made me think of, was when he made that remark about the Waco wackos. Yeah. He said they were religious nuts, and I'll tell you that's what, right. it's really something to be concerned about. Um, uh, I... I I feel like tapping my pen like Rush Limbaugh. I mean, it just makes you angry
3: mm-hmm. that they don't
16: have a... We're supposed to have tolerance for everything they want to do, but, oh, boy, I don't have any tolerance for me if if I, if I want to even mention what I believe in.
1: Dear lady, there is no less tolerant group than the liberals.
16: None.
1: <laughs> uh, they, are, uh, they are the closest uh, to fascism. Uh, uh, they're closer to fascism on the left than the right ever was. All right. Thanks for the call. Goodbye. Uh, there's absolutely no question about it. On the left, they are coming closer to fascism uh, than the right ever
0: thought of doing. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time.
8: Strange world
10: desire make foolish people I never dreamed that i meet somebody like you. I never dreamed that I knew somebody
0: Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight, featuring Coast to Coast AM, from June twenty fourth, nineteen ninety four. Not enough time left this morning. I
1: boy, I tell you, these shows just fly by. Good to be with you. I'm Art Bell, and uh, if you'd like to join us, pick up a telephone in these uh, declining moments of the live portion of the show on the Wild Card Line. You're on the air. Hi. Uh,
15: hello,
1: Art.
15: Hi. It's
1: Jose Honolulu again. Yes, Jose.
18: All right listen, I think Clinton is just afraid of the religious right, if you will.
1: Oh um, afraid afraid of uh, perhaps angry angry at, frustrated yeah. with kind of uh, losing it with yes.
18: you know he's got some you know he used to blame somebody for uh, his health care and whatever else to think that his popularity is just awful.
1: Yeah, I think he generally blames talk radio. Um, as, as a general rule, and uh, Rush specifically. In
18: particular.
1: And, that's right. Uh, for I the, think Michael
18: Reagan is much worse than Rush is.
1: <laughs> for the decline <laughs> and death of his health program and now uh, the crime bill. Uh, there sir. is a provision that he's put in the crime bill, Jose, that would allow prisoners to uh, file appeals based on the fact that more of one race than another is yeah, executed. I I, I'm, I'm aware of that. That's but, right. And uh, if it goes through, uh, then his is crime... His crime bill is not going to go through, Jose.
18: I I hope not. And uh, can you, I just thought of something. Can you imagine the the, the fit he must have with uh, Stephanopoulos, like he normally has over this?
1: Yes. Yeah, I imagine he's lashing uh or even caning Stephanopoulos on a, on a regular basis for all of this. Oh
3: gosh,
6: that's funny. Did you hear what what he said? What the big guy said yesterday? <sighs> Yeah. Well, have a good one, Art.
1: Take care, Jose. Aloha. That's Jose in Honolulu. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello.
8: Hello, Art. Hi. This is Mike in San Diego.
1: Hi, Mike. K-O-G-O, San Diego.
8: Yeah. uh, Good show
1: tonight. Glad you've enjoyed it.
8: Uh, it It's too bad he couldn't stay a little longer, but...
1: Yeah, I know. I I, I tell you, talk shows are like good books. I actually get upset with them when they're ending. It's like there's not enough time left. It's not fair.
8: Yeah, even with five hours, it seems short sometimes. It really does. Um, I hear you didn't get a chance to see encounters tonight.
1: No, I missed it.
8: Yeah, I taped half of it, and it was pretty good.
1: There, You know, there was so much news going on, so much going on, uh, that I just, I, I had to pay attention to that. The, the whole O.J. thing was going crackers. I, I needed to have a good understanding of what happened with the grand jury, so I spent time with that.
8: Yeah, it's really overwhelming with that story.
1: Um, unbelievable.
8: unbelievable to ask you about your sighting? My sighting? Yeah. Are you familiar with Strange Magazine?
1: Strange Magazine? No.
8: Yeah, it's got topics on everything. Right. And they describe something seen in England that sounded very similar to your sighting.
1: My a, I, my triangular um, vehicle of unknown origin.
8: Yeah, it's a short oh. paragraph. that. Describes a black triangular aerial object seen over Bakewell in England. Right. Over 30 witnesses. They said it had uh, bright white lights on each of its corners with red lights in between. Really? And it traveled at approximately 40 miles per hour.
1: That sounds just like what I saw. And uh, what I saw was traveling at about 40 miles an hour, too. It was just sort of floating along.
8: Yeah, I thought that was very strange when I read it.
1: Well, it is, and I thank you for the report, and uh, it was really strange, because when I gave that report, I hadn't even heard about triangular objects. I always thought they were saucers, you know, and mine had to be a triangle. So I came on, and I reported, duly told the audience. All of a sudden, everybody starts sending me this stuff about triangular objects. It just it blew me away. On the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello.
13: Green River, Wyoming, K-U-T-R.
1: Green River, Wyoming, yes, sir.
13: Yeah, I'd like to say that if the president is unsatisfied with Rush Limbaugh, he can take the same recourse we have and sue him for slander. I don't think he'd ever do that because he'd be afraid.
1: No, actually he can't. Uh, the president, uh, like Rush Limbaugh and like myself, is a public person. And the rules of slander, uh, libel, um, are apply very differently uh, uh, toward public people.
8: So he can't?
1: Right. More or less, he can't. He's going to have to come at Rush in a different way. He's going to uh, have to regulate Rush off the air, uh, bring back the Fairness Doctrine, and I would imagine, if you read between the lines, that's probably going to be next.
13: Sounds like it. On the Fairness Doctrine, doesn't it work? It wouldn't put you off the air, but like the little stations? I mean, not just the little, but any of the stations. If people that are listening to it don't like it, they can...
1: Well, yeah, it depends, sir, on how it's applied. It might put me off the air. Um, It might put a lot of people off the air. It basically would require uh, that if one uh, point of view is consistently or repetitively uh, uh, aired, um, that an equal uh, opposing voice would would have to be provided. Now, the end effect of that for the licensees of the radio stations would be that they would be... um, uh, there would be so much they would have to do that it would be easier for them in the end and cheaper for them to just throw up their arms and say, we right. give up. That's
13: what I thought. You
1: know, let's play Elvis Presley oldies.
13: Also on the sound gene, the one you're advertising? Sound yes. Son-Gene. Can you hook it up to a computer? I read about it where you can get, uh, like, the weather satellite reports and stuff that they fax.
1: Uh, the, the answer is, of course, yes. Okay.
19: That's all I need to know.
1: Right, okay, thank you. Uh, sure weather facts. The Sanjin would provide an output that would be compatible with uh, weather facts. So sure, you can do that. And uh, if you know where to listen uh, and so forth, you can get uh, weather pictures uh, that will show you basically what other forecasters see, uh, maps of the United States with uh, clouds and uh, weather fronts and all the rest of it, if you know what to look for. On the wildcard line, you're on the air. Hello.
10: Hey, Art, how are you? Just fine. I'm really happy to get through to you. My name's Kevin, and I'm calling from Portland on 1190KES.
1: Oh, the big one in Portland, yes.
10: Yes, and uh, I saw Vance Davis up in the Puget Sound area tonight, and I listened to you on my way back home. And I I wanted to uh, tell you a little bit about what he had to say, but first of all, I wanted to talk to you about the health care program. Sure. And I really don't think that it's dead like you do because just today, uh, moderate, as they're called, moderate Republicans have been trying to work something out with Democrats.
1: Right, but what's dead is what the president uh, said he must have, and that is um, um, 100% uh, coverage uh, that can never be taken away. That, believe me, is dead. Now, our president has said maybe he doesn't mean it, that anything less than that put on his desk will draw his uh, vengeful veto.
10: But don't you think they could come up with some agreement that would say within, say, 15 years it's going to be worked in?
1: Yeah, I think they could. Um, so
10: really it's the same. It's I, I, just don't,
1: I just don't think he can sign
10: it. Oh, I'll bet you he can. <laughs> I'm afraid.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I, you know, he may say in the end, what's better? A little bit of socialism or no socialism? And and, and
10: really it's a lot of socialism. It's just going to take a little bit longer to be enacted.
1: Incremental socialism or no socialism? How about that?
10: And really that's how it's been working for the last at least 20 years. It's been incremental, step by step by step by step. And it's really, I'm 25 years old, and I heard your caller from St. Louis a couple hours ago. He was 24, right? and he was saying the people of his generation... A lot of them socialists, and I see the same darn thing, and it's it makes me nervous and a little bit put off, because when I was younger, 14, 15, I thought a lot of the people I was around were uh, pretty rational thinking youngsters, and it seems like once they've gone through the school system, once they've gone through college, they come out, and a lot of them are, what I would say, confused.
1: Brainwashed.
10: Well, I don't know if it's brainwashing. It's just that they keep hearing the same...
1: It is brainwashing. As Rush
10: would say, Barbra and BS, over and over. It
1: and is. And look, it is mess. brainwashing. Uh, what do you think brainwashing is?
10: Yeah, I guess, uh, I suppose that's it. I,
1: it's a repetitive message until finally you're saying yes and repeating it.
10: It's not not good. And, uh, that you know, talk radio is really the only outlet that a conservative voice has.
3: Besides which, the national which, That's review right. Or
10: like that's
1: that. right. That's right. That's right. Which is why the president took off on it like a banshee yesterday. Sure,
10: because there's nothing left. There's not newspapers. There's not. You can't afford to be on television. I doubt for four hours a night.
1: Well, maybe I could, but I don't want to be.
10: Yeah, it's a It's a, diff- it's a different thing. Inside.
1: I hate television. Yeah, and I hate TV.
10: Well, let me tell you, Vance was very interesting. Was he? And uh, I saw him last night. There was a little. Uh, Discussion with about 10 people, and I was able to wrangle my way into that, which was great. And then tonight, Andy, had five new predictions, and I thought I might share them with
1: you. Share them with us.
10: Okay, I'll start at uh, number five and work my way up to the big one. All right. But uh, number five, man finds first birthplace of man by 2045. All right. And uh, four, great upheaval that destroys most of Florida and brings up ancient cities will occur by 2012. Number three, government will in- introduce the first alien to the citizens in
3: 1996.
10: Wow! And uh, number one and two follows, but uh, an earthquake on the west coast measuring 14.6 would occur in 1996.
1: What? <laughs> well, that would be the East China Sea meeting the California coast.
10: It would be off the Richter scale. And yeah,
1: that's right.
3: He
10: didn't say if it would be Oregon, Washington even uh, B.C. or Alaska.
1: Oh, listen, Nevada, throw in Nevada. Nevada's always destroyed in any prediction these days. I'm so sick of it. (laughs) I really (laughs) am. I mean, Nevada's always destroyed, always. (laughs) The first target of a nuclear war, Nevada. Let's push (laughs) the button on Nevada. I'm tired of it.
10: And like you said earlier, where do we send all the waste?
1: Yeah. Get dumped
10: on both ways. That's right. Anyway, it's great to talk to you, and I'm a first-time caller, but I will be calling you again.
1: Please do. Thank you.
10: Thank you, pal.
1: Right? Why? Why is that about Nevada anyway? Why do we always have to be destroyed? Well, Art, because you're the center of sin. You're the capitalist, uh, uh, the boil on capitalism. That's what you are, and you've got
0: to be destroyed. We'll be right back. <laughs> You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from June 24th, 1994.
1: On the wild card line, you're on the air.
15: Hello. Hello. Mr. Hi. Bell. Yes. Uh, let's see. I was listening to your, uh, your commercial caught yeah. me off guard. Um, I'm calling <laughs> about the the uh, the crime bill, which is uh, 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 not much has happened uh, on it in the last.
1: Uh, it's in trouble. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully it's in trouble. The president. a
15: police state empower, uh, empowerment bill, and uh, it will empowerment uh, a police state quite a bit if it ever gets through. And uh, I hope it won't. It looks like...
1: Um, well, if it dies, it's not going to die because it's a police state bill. It's going to die because there are things in it that the Republicans will not swallow and will not allow, and it will be talked to death.
15: Well, so far, uh, a couple of appointments have been, have been made in the uh, uh, committee that have... Uh, uh... have ha, they have not been able to uh... uh... do they the committee uh, uh... appointments of uh... well they they just haven't met and fortunately and it's very good news that uh... uh it's not out of committee yet
1: No, and in, in the way things are going it may not get out uh, thank you the president's crime bills in trouble The president's health care bill, as he's uh, described it, in in, uh, absolutely impossible trouble. And these things ought to be in trouble. We don't want them passed. So uh, this is good news. And what you heard the president do yesterday with regard to uh, the Republicans, uh, the religious right, Rush Limbaugh, that was um, sort of a a flashpoint uh, expression of frustration at these things not going through. He needed somebody to blame. Falwell's a good whipping boy. Rush Limbaugh's a good whipping boy. A conservative talk show's a good whipping boy. That's fine. It's just that um, we need to watch carefully that it is not something more ominous than that. You heard a severe presidential temper yesterday. Uh, It could be uh, manifested uh, next in regulatory action or some sort of presidential action with regard to talk shows. That would not be good. A couple of notes here very quickly. Um, Time is uh, rapidly um, escaping, I'm sorry to say, and this program is nearly over. I will be back Sunday, this coming on many of these same stations, with Dreamland. And this uh, Sunday's Dreamland features Dr. Bruce Maccabee, who is one of the greats uh, when it comes to scientific investigation of UFO evidence. So don't you dare miss that, Dr. Bruce Maccabee, coming this Sunday on Dreamland. It'll be a hot one beginning at 7 o'clock Pacific Time. If your station does not yet have Dreamland, call and be nice when you do it and ask your station, manager or program director, if, uh, if it wouldn't be possible to take Dreamland. Now, it does not always have to air at the time that it airs, Sunday, 7 to 10. A lot of stations have obligations. They can record it off the network and replay it. And by the way, The network replays Dreamland every Saturday afternoon between 5 and 8 p.m., 5 and 8 o'clock Pacific Time. So there are plenty of opportunities. You can tape it. You can play it back. Uh, One way or the other, I would just like to see it get to the audience. A lot of people want it. When you call your radio station, be nice. Be polite. I've got some people out there so desperate to get it, they call these radio stations and they say something like this. You know, what you've got on the air is really a bunch of crap. What a bunch of crappy programming. Why don't you get Dreamland? Well, there's just a great introduction and way to get Dreamland on the air. You insult the person that you're talking to. Don't do that. You know, one person's trash is another person's treasure. And it may be that if it's some sports show or something... There's a lot of people out there treasuring it could care less about Dreamland. So be nice and just uh, express your wish and ask nicely and say thank you. <laughs> That's the way to deal with people. You get, uh, what is it, uh, more uh, uh, more flies with honey than vinegar or something? Not to compare radio station uh, ownership as flies, but uh, you want to be nice to them if you can, so please do. The other is, as soon as I get off the air here... I will go on shortwave. That's right. We'll warm up the big rig over here, and I'll be on the 75-meter band, 3892, 3.892, lower sideband, soon as I get off the air, minutes from right now. On the wild card line, you're on the air, top of the morning.
17: Yes, ksm Santa Maria.
1: Well, good morning.
17: In the beginning, you were talking about land. Yes. And uh, a lot of the hunting homestead, horse, and camping magazines, or warning about bills floating through Congress, excuse me, <clears throat> about fees and taxes and yes. uh, outlawing general use of these lands for just about any purpose on trails, parks, That's right. all of these things. And it seems like they're coming after it like gun control. And these environmentalists are just, uh, they're really fueling the fire and it's just, uh, getting out of control and uh, i just wanted to make that point
1: well you made it sir thank you and you're dead right and that too, is beginning to get be very worrisome on the toll-free line with seconds to go you're on the air hello
15: hi this is dennis in phoenix k-f-y-i
1: hey dennis how you doing
15: fine thanks I, you know every night i listen i hear charlie and doctor come on in and it makes everybody want to call in to rebut whatever they have to say uh... i, I just wanted to say one thing about uh, clinton and what he did yesterday with the right
1: uh, very very quickly
15: Okay, he never misses a photo opportunity to put a cross in the sand <laughs> over in Europe or, or every time he's coming out of church and stuff, yet he still wants to bring down the religious,
17: religious right.
15: right and everything oh, else.
1: Oh, you're dead on. Thank you, my friend. I'm sorry, we've got to go. That's all the time there is. I live and die by the clock, and right now it's die time. So, But generally never say die. See you next week, or see you Sunday on Dreamland. Take care.